I have nothing prepared for this. Take a shot of mouthwash and listen to the Uncut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about. This is episode number 96. My name's Yaku. And my name's Randy. And today, no, Nicola is no longer with us again. Not, well, <laughs> not he's no not longer. dead. He's not dead. <laughs> he's just taking a week off, a few weeks off. I don't know. This boy is just unpredictable. Anyway, but today we, we're not we're not about by our lonesome because we have a well-esteemed guest back in the house. We have our good buddy Jackson to get together with us. How are you doing? Third time's the charm. I I believe Niccolo <laughs> has been um, transported off campus by the U.S. Marshals, so it'll just be us, us it's in just, the dorm room in our, in our executive uh, people instead. <laughs> anyway sorry so yeah so it's so it's just the three of us uh scheming in the dorm room in our boxer briefs at this point yeah you got it us you three got and it. jennifer it's <laughs> <laughs> just that scene anyway uh so as you may have i mean you, you may have surmised by the title we're gonna be talking about toy soldiers today uh, before we do, might as well just quickly remind you about what we have on our Patreon, patreon.com slash uncutgemspod uh, is where you want to go to listen to our bonus podcasts. And then at this point in the month, we will have two bonus discussions for you already up uh, to listen to. One for Enter the Dragon, which is a tie-in to the d- double build that we just completed with the quest in Man of Tai Chi. And now uh, this week, by the time you listen to this, I think the, uh, the Dead Poets Society tie-in to this to this week's episode should be up and running and operational, uh, and why it is why it is like that because well Dead Poets Society no sorry Toy Soldiers is basically that Dead Poets Society meets Die Hard come on, that's uh, <laughs> what it is great description uh, yeah it's just it's like it, this needed a, like a Roger Ebert you know Dead Poets Society meets Die Hard although uh, he hated the film so I don't know one star. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, patreoncom spot is where you want to go. Three bucks a month buys you access to buys you access to uh, pretty much everything that we have. And at this point, there's well more, well over thirty podcasts to listen to. And then you know you'll be supporting indie podcasters and making sure that we can finally maybe for for once pay for our websites not with our hard earned cash, but with someone else's cash. So yeah, that's it. Anyway, so today we're talking about Anyone toy who soldiers. This building will be shot. We will take a head count now, and again in the morning, if one person is missing, five of you will be executed. If two are missing, Ben will be shot, and so on. Tomorrow we will begin a head count every hour on the hour. If all goes well, you will be allowed out into the quad. But every hour, on the hour, you must be in this room to be counted. Is that understood? Second, you have seen these orange wires running throughout this building and outside. These are wired to explosives. If any one of these wires is cut, the explosives will go off automatically. If any of the individual explosives are tampered with, 
They will explode! Uh, Toy Soldiers was directed by da uh, Daniel Petrie Jr. Um, and then it also was written by David. No, it was written by David Cap and then and then rewritten by Dan Daniel Petrie. Petrie, Petrie, Petrie. I don't know. Um, and it's based on a book by William P. Kennedy, also to uh, called Toy Soldiers. It stars Sean Astin, Will Wheaton, um, Lou Gossett Jr., and a bunch of other people. And I suppose it's an ensemble piece. So there's another like seven people. I, I, I can't remember Keith Coogan and a few other people. Um, and it basically is a story of uh, prep school for boys being uh, being invaded by Colombian terrorists, and then story goes from there. It's super easy, anyway. So I'm I'm, I'm not for for at the at the risk of spoiling it already. So if you, if you haven't seen this movie, the movie, the movie, might as well just stop listening and go and watch it because I think we're gonna ruin it for you. Um, yeah. So. The story goes that, you know, I think the film was in initially written by David Kep. I think there was a draft written for John Schlesinger in the 80s, at the tail end of John Schlesinger's career, I suppose. And it was supposed to be a prep school uh, in, I think, in Israel somewhere. And it was supposed to be invaded by Palestinian terrorists, but the film didn't come, didn't come together. And I think the, the script kind of went back into some kind of a blacklist or development hell, I don't know. And then it got picked up by um mario Cassar and what's the other guy's name <laughs> i always forget no not not andrew Viner, but no mark berg and chris Arpas, i think produced it and then they kind of got daniel Pet uh, petri to to direct it and th this is a guy by the way just just quickly i think we'll get get into it in a second but i think the reason why he got the gig was because he was the uh, one of the screenwriters on Bever beverly hills cop and turner and which so it was kind of just it's making it happen in hollywood i suppose uh so anyway the movie <laughs> well, brings together a few sort of very young young stars. I think like well, Sean Astin, Will Wheaton, I suppose. Like so, in in some kind of an ensemble piece. Uh, and then you know, I don't even want to know how how well it, it it did. I think it I think it made like fifteen million bucks on ten million dollar budget, and then it was absolutely destroyed by critics. I don't think people liked it very much. And it's it's one of those films. That's kind of just fits the bill kind of sort of correctly in here because it feels like people were aware of it but then no one ever cared um so how are you guys feeling about this just to kind of just pass the baton because i absolutely had a jack shit prepared for this today <laughs> <laughs> so so, so let, let, let's just start our own sort of conversation about this like were you one of those guys who were uh you know, never cared about this. Like you were just aware of the sort of VHS rent cover in your, in your local blockbuster or wherever, uh, and then you never picked it up. Or were you a fan when you were younger? And or did you just stumble upon it just now and you're in love, or you hate it like Roger Ebert did because he was just like, this is this is this is not this is old news. Like nothing new happens in this film. Like, duh. Anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, Jackson, tell us how do you feel about Toy Soldiers? Yeah, I mean, Jakob, I've known about this movie since I was a kid. So it was, I, I think I discovered this on HBO probably a year or so after it had come out. Um, obviously, critically panned, like you're mentioning. But I don't know. I I want to say I still enjoy this for what it was. I know that mm -hmm. nostalgia is probably doing a lot of the heavy lifting on this one for me. Uh, but even coming back, you know, through adult eyes, I'm still like, this was, this was a really fun movie to, to rewatch at this point. Um, at that time I was a fan of action movies just in general, but then you add the element of the kids having to fight back against the terrorists. And I, I feel like that was sort of a five-star premise for me. 
Um, I don't know if you two had this experience, but when you were a kid watching movies where you saw other kids doing things, it you sort of had an automatic in there that gave you a little oh, yeah. bit like a layer mm-hmm. of interest where you're like, okay, there's kids in this. So let me see what this is about. It's like and, wish fulfillment, right? Like yeah. we were just like, this could be me. This could be my school. Right. And <laughs> in, in a lot of these cases, a lot of cases, this may have given people like a weird rose color tint on like actually bad movies. And they go back and they sit and like, yeah, I just like movies that had kids in them. And I had not great taste because of that. But for me, looking back on this movie, I actually think, yeah, it was, it was a, a movie I enjoyed, still enjoy, but is largely lost to time. I think if you're mm-hmm. not already a fan of it, because like even Keith Coogan, I was I was watching an interview with him where it, when he brings up this movie, sometimes people, the first thing people confuse it with is Joe Dante's Small Soldiers because they, oh, they yeah. hear they're like Toy Soldiers. Yeah. Is that the one that Joe Dante? No, that's Small Soldiers, and then. Yeah. You know, he'll he'll talk. They'll talk. They'll say, "Was this that other one where the kids go to uh, Korea?" And it's no, that's the rescue from 1988, where there's a group of teens that go over to save their dads. And then, of course, there's the obvious uh, Red Dawn comparison. But in this case, it's just a movie that hasn't had as big of an impact uh, mm-hmm. or a big of a cultural impact, I'd say. Uh, even considering all of the elements combined, like there was some, this had a really good cast. And um, like you said, David Kep. I mean, the guy is like the ninth most successful screenwriter in terms of box office success. And this was right at the top of his career yeah. at the beginning of yep. his, his career. So yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. Awesome. Awesome. Fabulous to hear that you're, you're, you're one of the positive voices in the room because like I, I know where I stand, but like the big the big question mark, the big <laughs> elephant in the room in here is Mr. Mr. Randy, the Randmeister himself. <laughs> all right. So <laughs> Randmeister no, General. Sorry. <laughs> I have no history at all with this film. I was aware of it and its release. Um, and honestly, when you you sort of look at a film, sort of the way that you know, I, I will often look at a film sort of beforehand before I watch it and know a little bit about it. And when I sort of dig a little bit deeper before I watched it, I'm, I'm looking at all the moving parts in this. I'm surprised that this wasn't more successful than it was. Like, um, it had an April release, which is one of those dead periods, especially going back to the 90s. It wasn't until mid-May that the summer mm-hmm. season really started. So that sort of says to me that this film was sort of dumped and I don't know why. I think it's a pretty good film. It's it's maybe got a couple flaws and we'll probably get into it. I think it's missing a big kick-ass set piece. That would go a long way for me. Um, but this is a really good film. It's it's solid. I really like the comment you made, Jackson, about uh, when when you're young and you watch a movie and you know you relate with, you know, the Arnold or the or the Captain America or or whomever. But when you actually get a a group of kids that are in a spectacular situation. The eighties had a lot of that, you know, like, so you had stand by me and Goonies and ET. And that was, that was the thing that came out of the eighties. That's in here. Stranger things, I think has, you know, an immediate hook because Mm -hmm. you've got sort of a group of protagonists that are, you know, 12 Harry Potter. There's another one. So when you have these young protagonists in these very special circumstances, I think it makes something very enticing for that, particular market i think that this is uh, a very likable cast too i would argue that they're very likable 
performance. And I think it's a very easy to market and easy to sell diehard ripoff concept. So it's it's a well-built film. It's it's not messy or sloppy, really. It's fairly well done. So I'm really surprised that the studio, I forgot to check, what studio was it? But oh, it was, TriStar. It was TriStar, yes. It was TriStar. Of course. I, I'm, I'm really how can you forget the done. Pegasus? The Come original on, Pegasus yeah. logo at the at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> you just see that and it's like a warm blanket. It's just yeah, exactly. You hear the music. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just the exactly. best. Yeah. And the the film that followed Pegasus, you know, was just that. It was it was just a great it's a great little film. Problematic maybe at times, but it's it's a great little film. Paint mm-hmm. by numbers, yes, but it's a solid film. Um yeah, I'm I was quite pleased with this. I I really liked it. And there's also, there's an interesting element in here too. I find that the film does a pretty good job in grounding this. Like I remember growing up in the eighties and you know, there's some scary things that were going on in the eighties in the the world in general. And I'd be watching the news because the news was always on in our house. Um, But also I had a sense, you know, the additional sense of fear that, you know, the media was creating around you know, news events of the day. So I, I feel some of that in here, some of those fears of the 1980s of uh, terrorist attacks and, you know, the war on drugs. Like, and this film is fairly grounded because you have a, you know, a, a drug dealer baddie who's, he's, he's not dropping one-liners. He's not out to conquer the world or ask for, you know, $3 billion. Like he's a very grounded villain with, he's got political motives and, you know, it's, that's a very interesting uh, approach, you know, so, you know, the film doesn't go crazy with a lot of little, you know, 1980s, I'll be back one liners, like it's, mm-hmm. it's fairly well grounded. And I sort of, I sort of like that it it, it works. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm all in for this. So oh, nice. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm, wow, I had concerns. So I'm very happy that, that yeah. Randy's on board. The other yeah. thing that I think was important to note about this movie that would have probably made or break it was the rating. So this was a rated R film mm-hmm. starting starring a majority like teenage cast. And mm-hmm. I think that was important because if they hadn't had the freedom that came with a rated R, uh, an R rating, this would have really felt more like a Disney Channel movie. Yeah, so this was an R rating uh, that was essential because if you hadn't, um, there was a there was a movie. Okay, so if you wanted to know what Toy Soldiers feels like, as a PG-13 movie, watch 1997's Masterminds with Patrick Stewart. It's it's a very uh, similar premise. And uh, I'm forgetting his name. Vincent Carthizer from um, Mad Men. Mad Men. He's, he's yeah. a teenager who is put in a similar a scenario oh, and you have you have all the the trappings of a of a PG-13 rendition of this which really <clears throat> i think i think made a big make a big difference in how this film rolled out and the severity and the impact of the the terrorists and the violence and all of that 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 mm-hmm. uh, unfolded <clears throat> in this story i think that's awesome. an excellent point yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean another sort of point of comparison would be uh, just before I kind of jump into my own op- uh, op- opening impressions, would be probably have you seen Class of 1984? No, that one I uh, I I've seen I saw a long time ago. I haven't seen the whole thing though, so that's that's one that's, that I'll need to revisit. 
because that's um that's a Mark Lester film from and uh, is it the same Mark Lester who did like Commando? Yes, that's the same one. <laughs> so he did he did Class of 1984, and then in 1990 he did a Class of 1999. So it's mm. basically like a little bit of a. It's about this sort of. I mean, it's more of a like a okay, more of a precursor to something like The Substitute and Dangerous Dangerous Minds meets The Warriors. <laughs> uh, but yeah. What was I supposed to say? Oh, yeah. I, anyway. Your impressions. <laughs> what do you think? My impressions. I don't know. What do I think about this? You know, when we were... At this point, I don't remember because we recorded it a few weeks back and I still haven't edited it yet. So I apologies if this didn't make it into the episode. But when we talked about Dead, Dead Poets Society, you asked me, uh, what's my sort of coming of age film? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and you're just like, well, I don't... And I didn't think I had one. Which is like, well, Goonies wasn't like, I, and I was never big into Goonies. I was never big into um, like Stand by Me because I couldn't relate to these kids because there was like one day, like some of them like grew up in the fifties. Like um, Stephen King can grow up can can relate to to this one because this is his his childhood, right? And I'm just thinking to myself, like this is probably my coming of age film. Like this is something that when when I discovered it when I was like in my early teens, like twelve, thirteen, I was. I don't know when I when I first watched it on. Like, probably on television like it was probably on tv somewhere on cable and then i remember then because i remember um, i remember this the cover of this i think they had a gray cover with two faces fa- facing outwards and, a, and a, a rifle in the middle uh so I, rem- I remember that cover and it has like another cover that i think this just a like a straight up blue just like this their heads yeah um their heads and by the way the blu-ray for this that i have is absolute dog shit and i mean <laughs> I mean, the transfer is good, but in terms of extras, absolute zero. Nothing. Just chapters. Yeah. Ooh. I was really disappointed with the Blu-ray release <laughs> what, on that. What? Anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, Especially yeah. because the I, I would love to see like a commentary on this with some of the guys because Will Wheaton, uh, mm-hmm. Keith Coogan, they're, they're all really open about talking about this movie. They had a great experience mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. yeah. And, so and they're all around too. Yeah, exactly. So I I really liked it when I was a kid. I watched it like a number of times. And this was kind of one of those films, like you said, it's just it, I could see myself in these boys, especially that I had a little bit of like a gang like this where there was like five or six of us and we were causing mischief. I mean, I didn't go to a prep school. It's just, you know, <laughs> just in, in your normal public school setting, there, we had like five or six guys and we were just like just doing doing stupid shit. Hope, uh, thankfully we didn't live in a social media world so none of it's documented so <laughs> <laughs> so i don't have to go and you know like clean up my social media feed to to get a job right uh anyway so i really liked it when i was very young and i when coming back to this now i i, I agree there's a there's a huge nostalgia push for this film like there is no, there's a nostal- nostalgia does a lot of the heavy lifting you have to admit however because like I have questions, like logical questions that just like this film makes no sense at times, right? Like this, like there's no escaping this. However, it just goes like this: like you blink, and it's just we're halfway there already, and then you blink again, and we're done. And it's just it, this is just a perfect sort of not maybe not disposable. I don't want to call it disposable, but perfectly edible sort of nu- n- nutritious action film. It has everything. As a good as ensemble cast, as great sort of sense of camaraderie, camaraderie between the characters. There's good sense of humor and self awareness about itself. Has stakes and also this. Uh, you, I, I know 
that the, with the R rating, it kind of you're you're making a film for teenagers. You you don't allow the teenagers in uh, in the in the cinema. So you're essentially just a con- you, you know you're, you're essentially just condemning the film because you, you're not going to be making be making much money. But the the idea of actually making it violent and then squibbing people and then just having having kids with bullet holes everywhere, <clears throat> this is just it makes it the best. <laughs> it's just. It's just a gr- it's just great movie making, just great entertainment. Like people should really pay attention to movies like the like these because they don't make them like they used to anymore. And I'm I'm happy this exists. And uh, I know it doesn't have. I think I, I agree that it doesn't have some anything in terms of a relatable or memorable set piece that you could always point to. Like um, like Die Hard has a few set pieces or. Uh, under siege has a few set pieces like this thing doesn't have it it just it just flows it i think yeah. it just go it just i mean it has a few sort of dramatic beats say well there's we could say there's a set piece where sean astin escapes the school and has to come back i think that's that's probably the most but it's not visually memorable there is no uh big hoo-ha about this and because the entirety of the film is in the characters, I think, and the sort of chemistry between these guys. And I can't remember how old they were, but because I'm pretty sure they were in their 20s, right? I think they were all around like 19, 20 years old. Yeah. So um, just about, so. you could just about believe that they could they could pass for teenagers, mm-hmm. right? But but yeah. you could still, like if you squint, you could say like Sean Austin looks like he has to shave, right? Like <laughs> So, but overall, I'm I'm... Still to this day, I can know this is not a five star material with just a, you know like a chef's kiss, but this is a film I can put on anytime and have a wonderful time with. And then to me, this is even more mind boggling because like I know people didn't like it, then the critics didn't like it, but I think this is a film that you you know you could you could you could look at and say, well, this is comp- competently made, and it was made by a guy uh, uh, who essentially didn't really end up having much of a directorial career. Right, because this yeah. was uh, Daniel Petrie, Petrie, Petri, 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 because uh, Pe- I always say there's a Petri dish. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. so Daniel Petri Jr. didn't think for him this was his directorial debut. He was a more or less a successful screenwriter in the eighties. Like he he did work on a, on a few high profile projects, uh, and then this was supposed to be, I think, his big sort of big break. Right into into yeah. the sort of directorial annals of Hollywood and then it this didn't rematerialize and then he didn't even after the after after Toy Soldiers I think he directed in the army now and then a few other films but then he never wrote again for for feature filmmaking he essentially just stepped into producing yeah and uh, the army so, now was kind yeah. of the last big thing he directed that really had an impact yeah and and that yeah. wasn't a bomb either so I'm not sure if he just felt like directing wasn't for him yeah, um, I mean, he did direct a few TV films, but then mm-hmm. just just in general, what yeah. do you guys think about yeah. his <clears throat> his his take on filmmaking or, or him his filmmaking in general? Just what? Well, yeah, what what's what's your take on him? I had to go back and, and clarify with myself which Petri this was, because mm-hmm. Daniel's part of this family of directors. Um, his dad, yeah. Uh, yeah. Daniel Petri Senior, uh, did like A Raisin in the Sun and Ford Apache the Bronx and like the cocoon, the return. So I was, I think that's who I was thinking it was at first. But then I also realized that I'm, I'm a little bit more familiar with Donald Petrie, his brother yeah, who did mm-hmm. mystic pizza and grumpy yep. old men and uh miscongeniality. And he's, he's just had like a much more flourishing yeah. filmography than um, 
Daniel Jr. did. Uh, but yeah, but, he, but Daniel you know, Jr. is the only one in the family with an Oscar nomination. True, Fair enough. very true. But then, like, which Donald which Petrie, by the way, Donald yeah. Petrie. I think he's still again like he, he's much more prominent in TV. Like he's he's a guy who did a lot of MacGyver. I think L.A. Law and a few other things. I think he did right. Mm-hmm. And MacGyver is another one of those sort of nostalgia items for me. Yeah. <laughs> just... so, oh, another point of comparison for the film Taps we haven't mentioned. Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> anyway, True. anyway, but yeah, like on back back onto the uh, Daniel Petri. I don't know. I didn't want to derail this. Yeah, I mean, I will say in this case, from a directorial sense, it was a, it was a very competent film. So I don't know where you know where he lost the thread, or if he just decided after in the army now that this, you know, he desired producing more. But Toy Soldiers, you know, doesn't mm-hmm. come off as obviously a debut it's it's a very competent film and and hits its marks as an action movie uh like randy said it would be great if there were you know some sort of additional set piece that was that wasn't in there and i i've got some notes on that to talk about later but overall i i felt like it was really well done from a directorial standpoint too and and handling an ensemble of young actors i think we have to give him some credit there Mm mm-hmm True. And it's it's a really interesting production. And I don't know if I have a sense of what this guy's voice as a director would be because he only has this and uh, it, and in the army now. And well, there's a few uh, other, right? A few yeah, but they're mostly on. TV movies, right? Dawn Patrol and Rosemont. I think they were just direct to DVD or something. I'm yeah, sure. like uh, in, uh, Dawn Patrol. Yeah, Christmas at Rosemont and a bunch of TV movies. Um, yes. But I, I get the impression that the whole family is sort of a group of journeymen in a way and they just have a savvy within the industry. So um, I don't know that that comes off here. Like Jackson said, this is a very competently made film. Um, he does seem to work well with the actors. I think he gets good performances here. And the fact that he's, you know, he's wrangling an, an ensemble of uh, you know, younger actors he probably deserves some credit for that. Um, I think there's a lot of things that are lined up in this production though, that would help him succeed because everything's closed in. There's really just one set. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, they've, I would say that he would have a lot of control and, you know, they're not going all over creation for uh, for the shoot. Right. Like they could probably have just planned this for a six or eight week production at a school and then just take over the school for six or eight weeks and do their business and and leave. And so in, in that way, it was there's probably a lot of conveniences for uh, for Petri Jr. Just just because. My perception is it's a, for an action movie. It's a fair. It was a fairly simple, straightforward uh, shoot. But having said that, I, you know, I think it's a very solid piece, and you know, the action scenes are, are done fairly well, and and so too is is the suspense. Like I think that it's it's pretty solid, straight straight through. Mm-hmm. But I don't have too much of a sense on this guy as a as a director, except because of like the Turner and Hooch, and just sort of the comedy connections with some of the other things he's done, and also with. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop, like I, it's interesting that this isn't a little bit funnier. <laughs> There's not more yeah. oh, comedy drilled in. The, yeah, the, true. But but I I see this film as a film that is is quite grounded in a way. It's it's grounded in 1980s news stories, right? It's it's grounded in the the Lockerbie uh, terrorist plane crash in Scotland. It's it's grounded in uh, you know 1980s terrorism, like in this 
weird way. Like it's some of it is Hollywood sensationalized and some isn't. And that's how, sort of how I see this. It's sort of uh, sort of unique in that way for, a, I guess, early 90s, but sort of late 80s, early 90s type of film. Yeah. One of my big takeaways when we're talking about, you know, why this film worked or didn't work, you know, we mentioned that there wasn't a lot of big set pieces or, you know, a premise that sort of drives it forward outside of the characters. The cast of this movie, I think, is what it lives and dies on. And because Mm -hmm. you had such like a tremendous cast of young actors and also, you know, the uh, the adult actors, you you have a, a lot of awesome character actors kind of peppered in. Uh, But then the casting of this felt like if someone said, give me one star from each of the most culturally important adolescent films of the last 10 years. And we're going to metal jacket. What's that? (laughs) Arlie army. Well, I I, I was meaning more the, 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 the front ensemble, but yes. Um, So like you have like stand by me, the Goonies adventures in babysitting and we're going to create this super cast of, of teen boys to lead mm-hmm. this. And the funny thing is most of these guys, most of these actors were already friends outside of yep. filming this. So you already had this built-in chemistry too. And the fact that they were characters that we, you know, actors that we already liked as other characters, I think was very critical. Um mm-hmm. You know, what really sells this movie, despite this sort of high concept, is that you love these actors. You you know, we can get into it as far as each of them individually. Uh, but yeah, that was something that stood out to me. I mean, it makes total sense. Like when you think when you think about, well, we're going to, because for me, when I watched this, because again, like when I was very young, I wasn't into Goonies. I think I, I watched Goonies when I was a bit older. I watched Stand By Me when I was a bit older. So I, I didn't necessarily gravitate it to this like, oh, it's a guy, it's Will Wheaton in here. Like it's the guy from Stand By Me or something. Star- it's just no. Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. It's just no. Yeah. Uh, for me, this was, like for me, these people, all these people, when I watched this for the first time, these were new faces to me. Interesting. So, okay. So I was a blank slate when I came into this at the ripe age of like 12 or 13 or, ho- or however, however old I was. Right. But, you know, like these guys, uh, in, for some reason they spoke to me like there's there, there's something about their faces how they how they conduct themselves and how they interact how they bounce off of each other that just makes it all relatable like they all uh pull each other's leg they'll just they'll always just like t- make fun of each other in such a very realistic and relatable way there's just i i just felt like hanging out with them and drinking mouthwash and then just spending <laughs> school's money on sex phones yeah. right yeah, which we just might as well just get into in a second. It, anyway. it was all very natural. Did you notice <laughs> yeah. the scene where they're walking with the the dean after their friend has been sent away, and the dean is talking to Sean Astin, and in the background, Keith Coogan is picking his nose and then wiping it on Will Wheaton's shirt, and he yes. does this repeatedly, oh. <laughs> almost to a point where it's like, you're like, what was he doing? And Keith Coogan later said in an interview, he's like, yeah, I was just like. I was the jokester, so I was constantly trying to make the other actors laugh in the background, or mm-hmm. like, you know, just just break up that that uh, you know the seriousness of the the scene. I, think it makes I, did, me I didn't catch that. Where was yeah. that? It was Where after was the that? the after friend who? who's the son of the judge. When he gets sent oh. away, they're walking okay. back into the dorm with uh, Lou Gossett Jr. So, gotcha. yeah, yeah. Aston was 
I think kind of the perfect person for this lead role at the time, because he has this, this boyishness that sort of carries over from the Goonies and uh, whitewater summer and Memphis bell. But he also mm-hmm. has to now portray this, this maturity sort of and he has yes. to be on the, the, the verge of manhood. So he, he has to have this f- physicality where you believe him kind of stepping up against these terrorists, but also still have that sort of baby face sort of like he's, he's mischievous. He's, he's a kid in school who can also kind of step up and have the, the courage and bravery to do this. So that was what I took away from him in this movie initially. And, and yeah. I was kind of the opposite of you, Jakob, like you're saying is you were a blank slate. I knew, knew all these guys from the, the stuff they had did done you? before. And so for me, oh, it was very much like, Oh, it's that guy and that guy and that guy. And, yeah. uh, but did it know, feel like cheap by, no, cheapened by this? No, it didn't. It, it felt like, for me, it felt like I, I liked all these characters and or these actors, and mm-hmm. this was like the next stage in them sort of growing up. And uh, like Will Wheaton yeah. also, like we were saying, the mm-hmm. you know, I, I knew him from Stand By Me. I had seen that probably not long before this. And then mm-hmm. Wesley Crusher, you know, Star Trek. Course, yeah. But which is funny because I feel like when he his character in this is very much him playing against the Wesley Crusher type. Like I think he gets yeah. the most F bombs of any of the kids mm-hmm. and he's just uh, trying to be a little bit rougher around the edge. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I think he, in a way he's um, doing something far different from what we've seen him do in, in other stuff. Uh, so I, I did like uh, Will Wheaton in this, but just back to Sean Aston. what I'll say about that guy, that guy has a warmth and a connectability. It doesn't matter what he's in. Like, uh, I remember he was in a season of 24, and I thought he was particularly good in that. I don't remember too much of the season, but I remember really liking mm-hmm. uh, Aston. And he's just one of those guys that you feel like you are or you can be buddies with him or close with him. He just has this this warmth. So, yes, he's being a little bit of a, a rebel and a little bit of a punk here, but he's there's a genuineness to the friendship and you know like you know that that guy he has that in his couple seasons of stranger things and of course lord of the rings yeah he, there's me, a reason he why he's very watchable Gamgee. quality <laughs> yeah, you exactly. know what? yeah yeah and he's it's here friend. even though he's a punk yeah he, he yeah. there's a warmth to him i i really like that guy and uh, that sort of comes through in anything i've seen him in you know what i've always had this sort of in my head and i know this is incorrect but i've always kind of had this sort of uh image in, of him um, that he looked a little bit to me and behaved a little bit like Michael J. Fox. Oh yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. So yeah. for for me, as someone who at the same time was discovering, like, you know, just Back to the Future. So for me, this was almost on the same sort of plane of understanding that this is just this likable rogue who will step up to the play when he needs to, and then he's also uh, going to, you know, like, well, if, if there is a prank to be pulled, then he's going to do it. And, and then it's never like sinister or cynical in any way. He's, he's just a guy who's just, you know, like we've always, I think we've all had a friend like this that who would be just like, you know, he's a, he's a like certified asshole to other people, but he's also cool to be around. Yeah. Yeah. And your parents are going to love him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the dean's gonna hate him so you know onto yeah. the film itself by the way what makes it tick like for me at least it's like the, it kind of starts almost in media rest like this film does not have much of a wind-up right it's all we're st- the film opens and we're in colombia and there are people being shot 
there's the military trucks because it opens in i think in barranquilla in colombia right Mm -hmm. and then and we get this sort of this is the only sort of bit of exposition that we honestly kind of get because well we get a few scenes here and there but then this is the setup where there's this big villain taking uh taking a whole sort of courthouse hostage because he demands that his dad, his dad is uh, released from America. Well, I think he's going to be extradited to America, and he finds out that he he has been extradited already. Uh, and then you know it kind of just goes all in. So there's no debate that this is a narrated film. People are flying out the windows. People are getting shot yeah. through the face. It's just great. Yeah. Well, How yeah. do you yeah, feel this, about this? I so, think it's great. Oh, go ahead, Jackson. Oh no, I was just going to say. So Andrew Divoff, who plays mm-hmm. this this leader Luis of the Cali. terrorists, Luis Cali. I mean, I felt like he he nailed it. This was this whole scene where they're at the Palace of Justice, and like you're saying, they they toss this lady out the window, and the the judge is telling him, you know, your father's already been extradited to the United States. He just already kind of sets this tone that he carries through the film, and he's someone who mm-hmm. I've I've largely known as uh, the Wishmaster. Yes, uh, the gin. The the gin. That was that was who <laughs> yes. I, I recognized him from. And he had also had roles in like Air Force One and Graveyard Ship. But this and Wishmaster might be the two that I, I know him best for. I didn't realize until going back and watching this that he was a Venezuelan actor. That he's actually yeah, yeah. and and so like I mean his Spanish is incredible. So I mean he he nailed the the character really well. And I just think that yeah, I mean. In a, if you had seen this movie made today, they'd probably have a bigger actor in it or, or you know, a more notable Waltz. villain. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think that they went with a good choice yeah. with someone who wasn't mm-hmm. super well known but was able to pull off the brutality of, of Lewis Cali in this. And then, mm-hmm. and then how they just set the stakes immediately where he just tosses that judge out the helicopter when they're, they're pulling away. Yeah. And you have this immediate tonal shift from this judge falling to his death and then now you're at this campus yeah. this campus of this boarding school. such a bizarre dissolve yeah. by the way but i love it it's great it. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i like that moment too what what i'll say about this whole business with with the opening and andrew dive up I, I don't know the actor i don't know Wishmaster. you said I, mm-hmm. I don't know him from anything else but here i think he's great and i think it's sort of a a call almost to like a, a paul greengrass or a michael mann type of grounded type of action and you know, that's sort of what I meant. Well, I like in my opening that one of the reasons why I really like this, like this, this doesn't feel sort of smarmy and slick. Like it, 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 it does have one foot in the evening news and the terrors of the evening news. And I think that that, uh, you know, works really well. And I think that this villain is, is key to that. And he is fantastic throughout, but he's very, you know, he's very serious throughout. And um, I, I love that. It seems like a very practical type of, uh, you know, uh, wish list that he has or his list of demands is really just, I want my dad released from American custody. And like, it's, it, it seems legit. He's not after, you know, millions of dollars or he's, you know, he's not combating other cartels. It's just this very simple ask. Like, like to me, that makes this sort of a special film that it, it stands aside from Die Hard because it's not as sensational in, in a way. It's got this one foot that's sort of well-grounded and, uh, you know, the, the the traumas of of the 70s and, and 80s so mm-hmm. yeah no I, I i really like that angle i really like this this actor in this role i mean i'm so glad you mentioned Die Hard because i feel like on 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 the surface level you could almost accuse this of the filmmakers of actually trying to uh evoke the sort of alan rickman energy with him 
because he kind of looks like he's he's this film's Hans Gruber essentially. He's a villain. He's cold blooded, but there's a point in the film where you almost kind of feel sorry for him. Like you almost feel like you're just like you know maybe you know let 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 us that out, okay? <laughs> just <laughs> just like you know because he has this sort of something about the way he carries himself is I mean, to me this is this is almost like a stroke of genius on behalf on behalf of the actor Andrew Levov, right? That he in from moment to moment within the scene he can he can sort of evoke a, some kind of a weird sort of Stockholm syndrome esque warmth where you just feel like you could you know you could live with him you know he's maybe he's not that bad this is the sort of energy he he kind of gives off and then he just brutally just executes someone or um, he will just uh, he will torture someone or something like that right and it kind of just and then you realize, I mean, th- th- maybe this is just me being a sociopath. I'm so sorry. But but in the very beginning, everything's foreshadowed. Like this guy's ruthless. He's cold-blooded. And he doesn't really, uh, st- he, he doesn't have a moral stop to anything. He just has this sort of goal that he sets himself onto. And then, well, he's he's happy just throwing a woman out the window. Well, yeah. just to her death. And then you see the sort of like, as you say, the sensationalist news casting sort of close up. And which to me, this, oh, to me, this immediately evokes uh, filmmakers like, Billy Freakin and and, yep. uh, and yeah. John Frankenheimer, like I yeah. feel like that, uh, or maybe even Sidney Lumet, right? Right? Do you feel like this is a, like almost this starts kind of sort of like it's trying to kind of hark back to the seventies? Like it feels like it wants to be Black Sunday or Sor- Sorcerer starts with this with these sort of like yep. newscasty sort of moments of uh, terror abroad. Yeah, and then and then we jump into this whole immediate introduction of the the <laughs> rejects to the school, <laughs> the rejects at the the Regis school. Um, yeah, this was true. cool. I mean, the one thing I remember as a kid liking is sort of having these this group of kids where there was all of these different uh, personalities. Keith Coogan was one actor that I just have I have a fondness for because in a window of time he made a bunch of movies and, and TV shows and things that were really formative for, for me. Um, like I know he came up as a, yeah, he came up as a TV actor a lot in the eighties, but I remember connecting with him. Like you said, in adventures of babysitting, he did a really little known movie called cheetah. It was a Disney movie in 89 where there's these kids and they have like Mm -hmm. a, a cheetah that they adopt and they're saving it from this like illegal, dog like greyhound racing ring or something and then what? he did yeah it's it's wild it's wild yeah. yeah uh don't tell mom the babysitter's dead you know so oh he's in that okay yeah oh, the, dishes are, the dishes are done that. man <laughs> yeah you gotta you gotta go back and revisit that one so he's usually playing a comedic relief and this is like mm-hmm. this is no different than that and then they kind of round out that group with um george perez and t.e russell uh mm-hmm. who who are both playing sort of like, you know, they're, they're, they round out this group of, you know, you have the, the comedic relief and then you have these other characters where, I mean, T.E. Russell, I feel like as sort of the, the black character within their group of friends, he kind of had a thankless role. And I feel like if he had given, gotten a little bit more of an opportunity to, to shine, he would have made more of an impression because I liked him as a character too, but mm-hmm. he just doesn't get a lot of opportunities. And I, I'm, I imagine that's probably, you know, a, a product of the time of when it was made, and you know. he was this sort of token character, almost right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it didn't In have to be a token mm. character like that. I mean, even Montoya, who's played by George Perez, 
Mm-hmm. They they give him some some layers there where they're talking about you know we can get into the scenes, but in, involving he he does understand Spanish and he's gonna he's gonna use that as you know to his his group of friends you know skill sets and as they're doing all this reconnaissance stuff uh, against the terrorists, but. T.E. Russell, yeah, he didn't really get a, a ton of moments in this. And I and I wonder, I actually wondered looking back if that character would have made a bigger impact if you had had someone like these other actors who we knew from something else. Like I, I kind of fan cast it in my head. At this point in time, what if we had gotten that character with like Malcolm Jamal Warner? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, some someone where it's like, you know him from something else, but now he's getting this opportunity yeah. to be in it. So we as you were talking i'm a bit different right anyway yeah as as you were talking I'm, i was trying to think are there any uh black actors that age you know because you do have the the goonies group and the et group and the you know and they're all uh, white kids. Stand by me group they're all <laughs> white kids do we do we have any right different ethnicities out there that aren't in comedy because i was thinking oh who's he gonna say todd bridges <laughs> but, but you, yeah I but, think, but you did pull someone from a comedy right like there's not too much outside of comedy for uh yeah it was mostly and, tv you know i yeah. when i mm-hmm. when i thought this in my head i was like well malcolm jamal warner probably could have done you know, he's done drama as well so he probably could have made the leap and as far as like hispanic actors that were playing teenagers at that time the only other one i could pull that i would say like would would have fit into this group although it might have not even fit, was uh, Mario Lopez. Yeah. Was he even John Leguizamo? <laughs> he was... Mario. Lo- John Leguizamo is about 10 years older than, than oh, these guys. Mario oh, Lopez right, was right in that same age bracket. He was in oh, right. Saved by the Bell at this time. So How old was okay. Will Smith at that time? Would, he'd yeah, be in the range, wouldn't he's he? He's 25 or something. He might be a little too Maybe old. Too old for, for and... Yeah. And he yeah, hadn't but, quite yeah. popped yet. He wasn't... He hadn't done... I think Fresh Prince was maybe like the next year. Well, his music yeah. was yeah. Late well, 80s, he did have so the music. He was going. around, but yeah. yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so we're so we're talking about the yeah the rejects. They're mm-hmm. out in the front spray painting the sign, and then mm-hmm. basically harassing the the guard. Yeah, fun yeah. fact by the way, in Polish, this 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 whole uh, title translates to reject school. Yeah, <laughs> really? <laughs> Just yeah. yeah. I like the concept of this school where not only is it the boarding school for all of these, you know, extremely wealthy, uh, wealthy parents to send their, their, you know, their problem solving or problem causing kids, but also it's, you know, it's the last resort. It's the place where when this kid's been kicked out of this school and this school and this school, they go to the Regis school and that's where they yeah. get the name, the rejects. Yeah. Also, on this note, because we kind of have to say, well, the terrorists will actually take over soon enough, right? And then they will count how many kids are in there? 95, yeah? 92. 92, 92 sorry. 92. There's 90, there are 92 kids in the school. I assume there were also room and board in there. I'm not sure if anyone kind of walks in from the town. I suppose they all live on the, pre- on, on the grounds. Yeah. So yeah. this school, how much is the tuition? I, I want to know. There's 92 kids going to this school, I suppose, across all all grades. Yeah. The dean lives on the premises. The uh, headmaster, I think, lives on the premises, right? They have a guard. 
that they have to that they have to uh, pay 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 wages to. They have cooking uh, kitchen staff. They have cleaning staff. They have teachers, and these there is at least twelve teachers because they kill one teacher and then chemistry teacher gets the bullet right, mm-hmm. uh, and then they, they they wheel them out. So they pay a whole. They have a whole faculty, and not, only ninety two students. How much are they paying that they are staying afloat? And I suppose they're paying. <laughs> How, and I suppose they're paying rent on the on the grounds because someone owns the land. I don't suppose that the school owns the land, right? Yeah, I mean, this is where this is where you can definitely poke holes in the logic. <laughs> I've, got, I've got I've got more like this. Yeah, and, and it <laughs> so was this. interesting. I wonder what like if it was just like, well, it's going to take way too long for them to count three hundred students. So we got to bring that down that number down a little bit. I don't I don't know where they came oh, up with ninety two. Do they know? <laughs> yeah. Now adult Jakob's uh, gonna have a problem with it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had forgotten that they had this whole character of uh Donahue who was Billy and um Joey's roommate mm-hmm. whose father is the judge presiding over uh Enrique Cali, uh Lewis's a, father's yeah. case. I, I forgot that that He's essentially the he, reason the, the terrorists yeah. come over. Right? Yeah, the, the, well, that he that he was the student. I didn't. I I had forgotten that he had been removed from campus, and that mm-hmm. that was why, um, you know, this whole thing happens with them, you know, exploring. Well, what other students do we have here that we can? And how quickly? Yeah, I mean, props to Michael. I think it's Michael Champion, right? Is it Michael Champion? Yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, Michael guy. Champion. Props to Michael Champion for digging out all these papers. By the way, he was just about a year before he was in Total Recall, also playing a henchman to Michael mm. Ironside. Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> just, was just making just lewd comments everywhere. Uh, it was just great. Yeah. But, so yeah. So when so when Phil gets sent away and the the you know, the boys are walking back, I love the the relationship that they set up between Dean Parker. Uh, Lou Gossett Jr.'s character and the mm-hmm. kids, which but we haven't really even gotten into Lou Gossett Jr. yet. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I this was sort of my not my introduction to him because I was familiar with like Iron, Iron Eagle, Eagle yes. and <laughs> with <laughs> yeah Iron Eagle of course this, and this Enemy Mine from another mother. Yeah, come guys, on. <laughs> yeah, guys, Enemy Mine and yes. the Punisher. Yes, you know, he had done all okay. these things before. I mean. And it's always funny to like be the person that brings up these titles, and and then someone's like, "Well, he, you know, he was an Academy Award winner before all this. So you guys got to, you know, recognize Officer and a Gentleman." But uh, yeah, this is I'm, this is the I one was that thirty-five when I saw an Officer yeah. and Gentleman, but Iron Eagle, I, I, by that time I had seen like twenty times. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But this this is probably the one that I always like return. I, I enjoy the most of his is this role where he is sort of like a hate love relationship with the rejects with the kids mm-hmm. and how he's he tells um billy he says uh, after he, he tells him that the sheriff's car was spray painted he says i'm all, i'll always be watching you and i feel mm-hmm. like that kind of foreshadows yeah it does later in the, the movie <laughs> when he's sort of this uh reginald vell johnson to uh sean astin's yes, totally. John <laughs> like, yeah it totally is he totally is. Uh, also, I, also he has such a, i don't know uh, go ahead I was just going to say, I wonder if a lot of what I like about Lugasa Jr. in this, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> is actually Sean Astin. Because I think Sean Astin just, when he gets when he gets going with another actor, like, like chemistry comes from a bond with uh, Sean Astin. And I think Lugasa Jr. is good here, but I think he's just that much better because it's with Sean Astin. 
Oh That's no, I disagree. Like, Louis <laughs> really? Gossett Jr. is a treasure. Also, like because like this whole chemistry between the boys and Louis Gossett Jr.'s character is set up across. I want to say, well, there's the first sort of in- encounter you see when 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 Donahue gets sent away, and then you have this little moment with them, and then they all go to the basement to drink mm-hmm. mouthwash, and yeah. I suppose just. Just develop erections and sit there. This right? first, this first <laughs> act of the movie though is so fun. I don't know if you guys had the same experience as me, but it's just there's these cheesy moments. Yes, that are that yeah. are kind of you know developing this relationship just, between the dean and the boys that I think is crit- critical for later when it because he, there has to be kind of like a fatherly sort of relationship in a way where he knows them really well. And they they bug him a lot, and it's you just think back to like any you could, you probably had relationships with certain teachers like this growing up, where you're like, mm-hmm. you know, I know what makes you tick, and I know you know the things that bug you, and it's vice versa. And the, the teacher can say, well, I, I know how to how to work with these kids because yeah. I know what they do as well. And, and so he, yeah, and he sees their potential as well. Like he doesn't see them as rejects. He sees them as human beings who are on a path and he just needs to kind of steer them so that they wouldn't go off into the bushes sort of like he's right. he's, he's a very interesting character. Anyway, go ahead. He he wants them to succeed. And I think yeah. that with Lou Gossett Jr.'s character um he gives such a like sort of a gravitas and weight to a role that I think could have sunk the movie if it was with the wrong person. He has to be sort of the simmering. There has to be a badass sort of energy simmering under this blazer and this tie where mm-hmm. he's off campus for most of the movie because he leaves and then the terrorists come. And so it has to be like, if I was there instead of the headmaster, I'd be taking care of business, but I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm, I'm, essentially handicapped because I'm off the campus with the military. And so like, even when I, I, I almost felt like the um, what's it? Louis Cowley senses that mm-hmm. when he says, let the headmaster come on, let me take his place. And he's like, no, uh, 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 uh. he's like, he, he has sort of an, a leader energy that yeah. then just sort of pays yeah. off later, but he has to, he has to influence Sean Astin's character. He has to be that uh, sort of yeah. mentor to him, even though they have this, strained energy because of the problems that Aston causes for me Mm -hmm. that's that's the best he is in the film is with Sean Aston and I agree like he's good here but I think the character not so much Lugas's performance but the character is misused later when we get into the ending and he has to tag along with the military well he doesn't have to tag along it's it's a choice that he tags along with the military and I, I think that we're getting I think the character is is misused in in the ending. So I, like I'm I'm a little hot cold on the character a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but and, I mean in the beginning he does a, a lot of the heavy lifting he does in the first time because he sets yeah. up everything right for me in the the key cr- three scenes right like there's the the Donahue sort of in, interaction with the U.S. Marshals and then afterwards when he just because at the at that point I mean. Well, for me, this is difficult because I've seen this film so many times. I know it by heart, essentially, right? Um, like, I was sitting there. I kid you not. I haven't seen this film in 20 years, but I, I could do this in unison with with Billy Tepper when he was giving the signal to his boys. I was just like, I remember everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, when when they go to 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 spend the evening just drinking mouthwash, and which is just the most hilarious drink, it's just like, well, it's like, 
two parts vodka, two parts liquor, something like mint, something else, and schnapps or peppermint schnapps and whatever. It's like, and then the whole allure is like it smells and tastes like mouthwash. And it's like, what's the point? Like it, if it, and, it would just look like a, mouthwash. <laughs> that's such a teenager mistake to make. No, it's gonna that's look exactly like mouthwash, and it's gonna smell like minty booze. Like yeah. that's what you're gonna smell yeah. like. So. Yeah, but then like the whole concept was just like, why would you? Well, but it's vodka. It's just so it's it's absolutely horrendously disgusting to drink. But they're <laughs> yeah. just getting off on the fact that they're doing something illegal, right? Yeah. And yeah. also making money because he's he sold th- like eight eight bottles at yeah. thirty five bucks a piece, <laughs> eight thirty five yeah. bucks of ninety ninety dollars, uh, right? So, but there's the, there's the scene where they eventually. Well, they they go and hook into the, the the light. It sets up so many cool things. It's just such a expertly written film when you think about it. In terms yeah. of just commandeering the story, they set up the fact that they're tech savvy. They know how to get away with shit, and also they, they their mischief is always um, I don't know somehow innocent because they're just calling this sort of phone sex line, I suppose, for like yeah. ten bucks a minute, right? And they they're probably charging the school. And you know, Louis Gossett Jr. He's just working late at a at a smallest desk in the world, right? Yeah. And then he just sees the little like light. He just okay, well they're at it. So he knows where to go. He's it's not like he has to think where they would go. Like he just goes to the thing. Well, they're they're definitely there. So he goes to the box, check check where they are. He he knows exactly <laughs> what to do. He walks in. He sees Sean Astin, and he goes like he can't be here alone. And he just calls out immediately, Mister. <laughs> he knows all Trotter, he knows they're yeah, all back there yeah yeah, yeah everyone yeah calls them out and they're like <laughs> we have to come out and they're all in their boxer briefs and whatever tidy whities it's to me this is perfect because they you already then you see okay this is my group this is the group i'm going to hang out with because th- this is now consolidated and it's further consolidated when they take revenge on him by uh rearranging the office outside which is the best prank i yeah. i wished i could do this myself yeah. when i was younger <laughs> just, i didn't do it but yeah. i had i had classmates i had uh, guys in my dorm did that to other guys in the dorm broke into and, the room and yeah, reset this, us there the, the <laughs> and the pranks, banana i mean and the yeah, banana yeah. <laughs> yeah by the way the banana the banana i read was improv'd um on yeah. aston's part which was really funny because uh Gossett Jr. he just sort of like plays it off and he does it so well where he's like you pick, pick up that banana <laughs> um, and then the roll of his eyes by the way like Sean Astin's just oh, <laughs> yeah and and it was it was totally a prank the the headmaster's furniture out on the quad was such it, it's it's a harmless prank mm-hmm. and even uh Denholm Elliott which we we haven't mentioned him yet the uh, Denholm Elliott in this movie where you know this is like one of his final roles and I know he's mm-hmm. been in so many big things but this at this moment when I watch this I was like oh it's Marcus Brody he's the, he's the headmaster <laughs> Indiana Jones yeah. I was so yeah. so happy to see him and he's just laughing this off and he's he's like to Lou Gossett Jr. He's like, you got to admit this is kind of funny. Yeah I know this is again because they're lads they're boys and you're just like we can't we have to just keep Keep a straight face. Like we we can't let them know that that they're one of us. Like we're we're on the same page. Like this is funny, right? Yeah. So, uh, can I can I work in here? Like all that. Yeah. It's just like no, this is not a good idea. And then afterwards, like Lucas Jr. has another scene with the sheriff when he defends the boys. Like he takes. Right. Right. Um, He's just trying to keep yeah. the alcohol off the campus, and so, you know, mm-hmm. he takes us with him, and that's the whole pers- whole reason why he leaves campus. But. That whole mm-hmm. lead up, that first act where you had them in the basement and the mouthwash and the sex line and all this stuff, this is all 
meant to juxtapose against sort of the harsh, you know, brutality of what happens when the terrorists get on campus because you have all this harmless stuff, and then now the kids have to mm-hmm. utilize, like Randy's saying, utilize their skill set, utilize their yep. um, their skills and the things that they've used for mischief before for something good. Yeah, and, I well, think TriStar it, 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 really missed out on something. I think that they should have released this, and you know, as we're talking, and you know, and I like this, I. I think this was dumped on the market and they should have promoted this more, found a better spot for it, R rating or not. I think that producers probably said, this is an R rating. So this is this is targeted towards high schoolers and they can't really go to it. I, I think if they'd had some balls and put some marketing behind this, this could have been a sort of a small classic. I think people would have gone to see this. Yeah. I think it would have had a great life on video. Because yeah. uh, I don't think it was a big hit on video, maybe a little bit. But. No, I think it's yeah. I'm not sure how much money it made. I mean, no one has data. Oh, it, on made, this it made 15, no. 15 million. So it was just yeah. sort of like an uh, okay. But mm-hmm. and, and and we talked about how it got dumped in April before. The opening weekend for this is hilarious. It it opened third against mm-hmm. Oscar with yeah. Sylvester Stallone. Mm-hmm. Think about that. <laughs> yeah. And then <laughs> A Kiss Before Dying with Matt Dillon and Sean Young, right. which is kind of like right. a movie that doesn't exist. And so, you know, you so had this open dumped. weekend. Yeah. They really, yeah, seriously yeah. all dumped. It's like early 90s, sort of the uh, the pre-summers. I mean, because now you can you can almost kind of argue that the sort of the Easter sort of, uh, sort of area is kind of like a small little peak, like pre-summer sort of time to kind of mm-hmm. just go and release something bigger. Like mm-hmm. there were times where some, like Marvel would drop something in April, like weirdly, yeah. like some like early Iron Man would probably just come out like Iron Man three, I think, yeah, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, early May, I suppose. But yeah, yeah. or maybe Fil- films know. like Lego, the Lego Movie, yes. and some of the Marvel movies, they sort of rechange the. Ca- you can have a hit any time of year now, but you're right that that was not the case leading into say 2010 or so. Like I would even probably argue that probably May was still a little bit like I don't know it's still quite early. <sighs> yeah, it wasn't until like yeah. the, I think the mid '90s when May became sort of the official start to the summer mm-hmm. uh, blockbuster season. Yeah, yeah, it was always. Um, uh, sorry, what's the American May holiday? Uh, uh, Memorial, Memorial Day. Day. Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. That was always the big one, and then. I think with movies like the the Mummies movies, they were released mm-hmm. a little bit earlier, so they sort of pushed things to early May or late April. They they were sort of uh, big in making money early, early part of yeah. the summer season. Um, but there was sort of a yeah, there used to be sort of a rule in the mid mid nineties that it was the Memorial Day weekend that sort of mm-hmm. launched the summer, yeah. and then studios tried to sort of make that earlier and earlier. Which was also why I think in 99, it was kind of a surprise that The Matrix was such a big hit because I think mm-hmm. The Matrix had like a late March or early April release. Something like that, yeah. And, I mean, and that yeah. was April, yeah. April rings a bell. Way earlier. But that but could have been... No, this was April. That was April. April. Yeah, because that was April. two, three weeks apart with existence, by the way. Yeah, and it, it also... Yes, that's that's correct, yeah. Yeah, The Matrix had It was trying to avoid like Phantom Menace, though. Yeah, it had a month on The Phantom Menace, so... But yeah, um, yeah. yeah, so so after Dean Parker leaves campus, that's sort of where the first act ends and you get the terrorists coming on campus. And this mm-hmm. was, yeah, what did you I guys mean, this, think of this? The, the first, I mean, before they come onto campus, also the, you kind of have these sort of like weirdly interspersed little scenes to kind of remind you that while these sort of school shenanigans is ca- happening, there are these people at night. I mean, there's a day in the school and then there are people at night 
just uh, going through the Mexican uh, US border, right? And they're just mm. shooting a few people. And by the way, yeah. it, just a lot of people in this little small truck. Uh, and I have another note. This is a logical thing because right. if they're traveling in this one little truck, there's a whole shit ton of equipment that they also have with them. They have yeah. 250 cal uh, <laughs> machine guns, bazookas, yeah. uh, some kind of some kind of anti tank weaponry. They have C three, not C four. It's C three. <laughs> they have loads of wiring. They have this sort of mobile detonator. They have this sort of. They have all sorts of crap with them, and then also assault rifles and guns and grenades and everything. Who's supplying they, this? <laughs> where did they get the laundry truck? They squeeze into a laundry truck. Yeah, yeah. The, the good old laundry truck. <laughs> yeah, yeah this that was old all, gag. <laughs> yeah, this was all '90s action movie logic. Where you know, totally. we're just gonna put this off screen. Just assume they got it. They got their weapons. Exactly. They all yeah. fixed, they fit it in here somehow. So, because yeah. to me, this was this the most sort of uh, startling <clears throat> and let's just say the the sort of the iconic image I always had in my mind was um, Michael Champion waltzing into the school cafeteria and then yeah. lifting his his gun and just and to just me that's, scaring the shit out of everyone that is a big moment so you know once they dispatch the guard and you know we get through the the guys of oh the laundry truck mm-hmm. uh yeah. as then you have a, a few moments just of normal everyday activity at lunchtime you know guys hanging out and then you hear gunshots outside and then yes this this What's his first name? Michael, Michael Champion. He comes in. Yes. This is very, very serious. And this is one foot firmly grounded in what feels sort of reality. Like, mm-hmm. some, you know, something like a Michael Mann or, or Friedkin type of territory. This is a different type of, of action than we're sort of accustomed to. And too, like for this age group, like for the target market, like this would this would really be impactful. Like even I sort of associate this. I guess I think I'm younger than I am, but I relate with well, with the students, right? <laughs> so I relate with the students here. It's like, oh my god, I relate with a I mean, normal day well, at the cafeteria. What are you supposed to relate to? Like you're too uh, too too young to relate to Lou Gossett Jr., right? <laughs> and mind you, this felt like a, a situation at the time that felt so like foreign and like, well, this is really like an action movie because like this does this happen like i i remember i think i was i was 15 or 16 when uh columbine happened mm-hmm. and so like going mm-hmm. back and watching this now and you know through the lens of you know now we have a school shooting you know every other day and, right. and seeing this it just has a very different um different yeah. weight to it when you watch the scene and, and see how the students react and how you know it, you know in a modern rendition what this would look like yeah. yeah 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 this is impactful yeah. this is this is really well done and this is uh i i say in some ways like a, a cut above of uh what you normally get for for 90s actions and mm-hmm. I, I don't get why this wasn't critically reasonably received like the fact well i think mm-hmm. ebert had had pointed it out i mean it's hard to disagree with him when he says it's all been done before I don't see anything new in here. I suppose if you look at, look at it from the perspective of a critic, it's kind of like, well, it's Dead Poet Society meets Goonies meets Die Hard, and then it's, it's kind of like a like you can like if you want to be cynical about it, it is kind of like a let's just take a few bits and that worked here, 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 and there, and make and make it work together. But right. it kind of works like the cake yeah. that they're putting together with these sort of tried and true ingredients is. Is great. It's just like you could you could complain that it's still flour and and, and yeah, baking yeah. powder it's, and sugar. I find it a lazy criticism though. So yeah. that, that's fine. You borrow from other things and 
whatever. Well, now, from yeah, our but perspective, you still have to do it well. Yeah, from yeah, from our perspective, yeah. it's a. I mean, we're we're more sort of. Let's just say, um, this is me playing devil's advocate to uh, to to Roger <laughs> Ebert. Jesus Christ! But <laughs> but then from our perspective, we're more accustomed to it because that's a lot of what we're seeing now. Mm-hmm. Harks back to certain things and picks and chooses like like a bit of a magpie from the past, right? And then. And then, and we're putting a new sheen on this, or rebooting the entire franchises with a little bit of a different angle and whatever, right? Yeah. We're playing on this nostalgia. Mm-hmm. He's playing on the same nostalgia for like the late seventies. Like when you say Michael Mann, yes, totally. Frankenheimer, yes. Uh, Friedkin, yes. Die Hard, yes. Goonies, yes. It's all in here, right? And I suppose yeah. if you're like an old cynical critic, like like I don't know, Roger Ebert would have been at that point. You, you could see I've seen this all before, and it does, and it's not fun for me because he doesn't relate with, with, relate to anyone. I suppose this is the sort of the big bane of this movie is that the the audience that this film re, would they would re, uh, the audience that would relate to this film the most was not allowed in. Right, right, yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I I feel like yes, there are elements of this that had been seen before in action, but they they created this dynamic between the the students and the terrorists and everything that I felt felt very mm-hmm. unique to this movie. I mean, it, it would be like if you went back to Die Hard, and when Hans Gruber and his terrorists took over the 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 building, Nakatomi Plaza, they said, "Okay, we're going to take over this building. We're going to be here for a couple of days, and all of you guys go back to work, do your jobs as we're waiting for the money to be paid, and just pretend like you know, go about your work, and then we're going to do a head count every hour." And there's this whole this every whole hour, the only students, hour, yeah, the yeah. students having to kind of live and exist for a couple of days under the thumb of this this terrorist, and that was something that I I felt like was was somewhat new. Again, this I is agree. probably David Kep. Again, when you think about, you think that oh, this is new because well, they're just taking over the school, and then you know, uh, you go about your day. But you know, you're the you're in the audience. You know that their days are numbered because they say, well, there's there's an ultimatum that he's setting up, right? He says yeah. like 24 hours from now, I'm gonna execute every single one of them, right? And then they they do a bit of a delay. It's like, well, we're figuring out. We're gonna find another day, right? Like we're gonna do this next to, tomorrow at five, or whatever. So. To me, this is this is again interesting screenwriting, and again, in the beginning, we're introduced to these to, to these villains. Like they go in and they scare everybody. They pull no punches. They kill someone. Like the teacher gets a bullet. So at least they're mean business. Uh, and then they do something stupid because they they essentially they they think they disable telephones by shooting at telephone booths. Yeah. I'm pretty sure these they, telephones are fine. They they get <laughs> they they have a montage of them setting up the explosives across the campus and. Mm-hmm. You know, they're setting up their, uh, you know, setting up their central control area in the headmaster's office. And mm-hmm. yeah, See, <laughs> and that's the type of stuff that maybe we've seen before. But I think we're touching on things like there is a uniqueness in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think with that cafeteria scene when the terrorists do take over, I think that that is very fresh. And I, you know, I yeah. think that sort of the, the realism and the intensity of of this being sort of the the the, the teen angle from from the 80s and, and putting them in the role of being the heroes, uh, like the the action heroes. Like, I, I think there is an element of freshness to this that I, like, yeah, like I say, like, yeah, I've seen it before. I'm not a <laughs> fan of that argument here. Yeah. Is this yeah. your Roger Ebert? In case, right? Yeah. Because, yeah and that's oh, no, I won't slag my man Roger, but uh, <laughs> just as... But that your is your Roger Ebert impression right there. Well, that's, yeah. my, that's my beef about calling these movies like, like Cliffhanger and 
sudden death and and toy soldiers like diehard knockoffs well yes there is a certain level of diehard influence in their dna but these are all the best action movies of the decade they all still work so yeah, mm-hmm. to to use sort of this derogatory term i feel like you know yeah i i that's that's my beef with it because they're they're all very great on their own uh their own merits so it makes uh, for a good blurb though like that's the only sort of allure of this sort of phrase die hard yes. in a prep school four yes, stars it, the guardian right Whatever. it helps you get it it helps you understand yeah. what you're in for by yeah. using the diehard premise um yeah. but cheapens so, it though it cheapens it like it kind of just immediately narrows the narrows your focus and then you're just like well you're, you're not exactly getting this however like the, the template's there right? right right so the the next scene i really really like was this scene once they find out that donahue the kid mm-hmm. that they're there for has already been taken off campus. Oh, I was just about to mention when, this, yes. uh, yeah. When the henchman, what, what was his name again? That you mentioned uh, well, that? Michael Champion. Like the yeah, actor. Michael, when Michael I don't Champion, know what his name, the character's name is. Yeah, oh, when, when he Jack, shows up Jack. with the, the files and he says, hey, you know what? I think we might still have some pawns here in this game. And and shows Lewis Cowley the all the, the kids' Con- background. Conveniently, yeah, it's yeah. our guys. <laughs> And yeah. one guy, and one yeah. extra, the, the one who tries to t- make a phone call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you've got, yeah, you've got the man. This I love the scene when he's calling them out, and you have like Coogan's character's dad is like the chairman of a major bank in New York and the vice chairman of the Republican <laughs> yeah, <contractor>. Party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Sha- yeah, Sean Astin's dad is like he said he's a contractor. Well, he owns he owns the third biggest construction company in the world. So he's like probably said, working yeah. in Dubai <laughs> or something. And then, like I said, he's a contractor. <laughs> right, right. T.E. Russell's his dad, his dad, and this is the chairman of the armed service committee. So you, you mm-hmm. start, and then I, I guess we should talk about Will Wheaton's dad, who is, uh, you know, he's the Albert Trota of New York. Yeah. Tony yeah. Soprano, basically. Yeah. yeah, he, yeah he is, yeah. An, an uncredited Jerry Orbach. And uh, yeah, so they're going down the line. Uh, and we just think these kids are, you know, problem kids. And it turns out that they're of this really, uh, you know, high class or, or wealthy elk. Well, why are they problem kids? Because their dads don't, didn't pay attention to them. This is, a, a, this <laughs> yeah, is there's a layer that, of depth in here. I sort of like it. This is a good sins, dead poet sins society, of the father right? thing. Yeah. yeah. yeah Be there's a, a good dad. The father type of thing in here too, worth <laughs> yes. discussing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so that this scene I just I loved all the way up until or all the way up including uh, when George Perez's character says he doesn't understand Spanish and then Callie says I'll put a bullet in him and he's like whoa, 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 whoa. no I I know a little bit I know a little yeah. bit and you get and you get a, a a rifle butt in the knee which is just yeah. the most painful thing you could imagine I mean I suppose second to getting a bullet into the face but you know yeah. I mean, to me, this scene is actually what really sells you on the film because this is where you see a confrontation with the, there's this big boss, and then the uh, he mean he, he means business, right? Because he immediately just asserts. I mean, is this in the same scene where he says, "Well, every hour on the hour, we're gonna have a count." I, I think, I think it's that's in scene. another scene coming no, it's up, another but, scene. but it's yeah. also in the cafeteria. They, there's a lot of these returns. Yeah. The cafeteria similar, does a, whole, uh, a lot of heavy lifting for the film. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, just, yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's, a, it's an easy shoot in a way. <laughs> yeah, because because after this, then you have the the other uh, military and FBI characters introduced with uh, Mason Adams coming in yes. as the FBI yeah. director, yes. and then of course Arlie Ermy, our great uh, character actor Arlie Ermy, come in. 
And I don't know. I I, <laughs> yes. I I always enjoy seeing him show up in a movie. Yeah, I mean, it's a. I mean, to me, this is a wonderful wonderful setup. because I mean, to me, when when the guys kind of waltz into the uh, into the cafeteria and start shooting, this is when first act actually ends. You could actually just fade to black and take a break. Like you can mm-hmm. always like if this was a TV show, this would be where the first episode ends, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then. I don't know. I just feel like by this by this point, if you if you haven't been reeled in by the film, like it's not gonna work for you. Like I'm just gonna say, put it bluntly. Yeah. This is this is it. Like it's not gonna it's not it's not gonna you know extend any more sort of olive branches to you. Like if you haven't been hooked in by this, like they might as well sit down. Yep. But I would add to that. Like I think it's a tremendous. I think it's a tremendous hook. <laughs> you know, it like, is. I think yeah. This is a, yeah. So a big massive yeah. worm on it. <laughs> so yeah the, and then and then what i love that once they jump into the the military coming you know kind of creating this perimeter around the campus you got a lot uh for for a 10 million dollar movie you got a lot of these really good you know it's establishing shots and they had the helicopters all over the place and so it really felt like you know they had put some put some money behind that mm-hmm. yeah and I mean, we gotta have to. I mean, because like well, now I'm 38 and I'm watching this and I'm just thinking to myself, like, how convenient is this? Like, well, at first, Mr. Jack Thorpe, Michael Champion, cl- clearly just uh, off the top of his head, just has all these sort of like paperwork for uh, the boys that will be the prize money for for them. Like, this is this is how we get our stuff, uh, uh, um, our work done. This is our leverage, right? Because th- we have this sort of the mafioso's son. And we have all these sort of big, uh, big sort of, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the big fat sort of cats of, I suppose, the Republican Party and whatever, like chairman of, of the arms, so sort of like committee or whatever, um, and their kids in there. And they, conveniently, this is the five guys that we're supposed to care about. Right. And then again, like when they were just, oh, let's put you in rooms. Conveniently, the five guys we have are in the same room with two other boys, right? Yeah. I think two other boys, yeah. I suppose if you're a cynical prick like Roger Ebert must have been, you'd be just like, oh, God, how convenient. Oh, no. It's so, I mean, for me, like, I can, I mean, I, I can honestly, symp- not sympathize, but empathize with someone who doesn't get it. And then, because if you don't get it, if you're not, if you're not, like, you'll be rolling your eyes, like, every three seconds, because it's so convenient. It's so on the nose every now and again that you that it's almost impossible to kind of have fun with it if you're not already having fun with it i don't know if you guys agree yeah. with this but this you is kind of where i'm be... going this is the hill i'm prepared to die on <laughs> you, you have to be already on board and yeah. i think that's also sort of an unspoken agreement that and and i and i mean when you go into an action movie you have to say okay i'm going to extend my my suspension of disbelief a little mm-hmm. bit here because I know what I know what they're working with. I know the recipe. I know, and and you can have action movies that you know are much more realistic. I'm sure, but here you got to give them a little bit of leeway here and there, so that they can do mm-hmm. the fantastic. So that you can have a high concept like this, and pull these things off. So, yeah, yeah, so they've earned said, a lot of uh, they've earned a lot of leeway. I think, like in this opening, for mm-hmm. me, like I, so, I, I'm willing to let a lot go. I have but problems they, later yeah. on. We'll we'll get into them. Yeah. But, so okay. They, uh, yeah. Like, so but they, they have from, a lot of from, goodwill established. From right. there, we kind of go into. I think it, it's from there we go into, because um, we've set up the sort of the, the the group mechanics in the first act, and now we're setting up the big uh, sort of the big um, engine of the film, which is they're taking uh, action, right? Like these yeah. boys are saying, well, right. we can yeah. somehow help 
us help these people outside you know get us out right so we need to get as much info about these it's, these bozos and this is where you have it's almost like a like a 20 minute extended montage of of yeah. everything that's that they're kind of getting together right and yeah and what and what leads into that i wanted to bring this up because you were you sure. were mentioning them leading them into the dorm room and they just all ended up being put in the same room by coincidence uh they end up in a character's room and the character's name is yogurt for some reason oh yeah, yeah. do you and know that why was he was called yogurt <laughs> yeah and so that so that was the kid with the I little did. airplane and what i found out was that um a certain Corey fellman had auditioned for the part of yogurt and lost out to this actor named sean Phelan. and i was like man Corey feldman we could have had this with Corey. i don't know i'm i am <laughs> i'm a fan of him within a certain structure and i feel like Corey feldman might have been a cool addition to this movie in that way i don't know in 1990 i think he was still at that place where he could have he mm-hmm. could have pulled this off and it would have been a fun energy i don't know if the comedic energies of Corey feldman and, and keith coogan might have competed too much or if that was something where they just decided yeah this is not the one but yeah that was one that stood out to me yeah i mean i'll be perfectly honest um i think Corey feldman would have needed Corey haim you think so? Just, think just just saying, like, so we need to find replace and... someone. Well, yeah, Corey. You know, Co- yogurt has that other roommate, and yeah, Corey Haim could have been the other roommate. Completely useless sort of character. Like, yeah. I don't even remember his name. But he doesn't do, do even you, have a line. I know. Do you know why he's called yogurt? By the way, uh, I believe the story was they were going somewhere on on the set, and he had like a container of yogurt, and he was like opening it, and it exploded on him or something. Oh, yes, uh, decided... He was eating in, on the yeah. bus, and the bus went through a pothole, and just like the yogurt oh. just like went all, all over his face, and they were just yeah. like, you're yogurt now. Yeah, we're gonna, yeah. that's a great, a great <laughs> yeah. memorable name, so we're going to call you yogurt, and we're not going to explain yeah. it to the people. I mean, again, yeah. the, uh, the sort of convenience of this sort of story of course like we're getting they're getting bunched up with a, with a character who happens to be a sort of boy genius engineer right yeah who just makes the most ridiculous airplane with a circular set of wings i mean just like is, why is this even flying like how is this possible <laughs> it's a pretty cool looking plane and it was one of those yeah. where like anytime after i think i had seen another version of that kind of plane in in something or in, in a store or something i was like oh that's like the toy soldiers plane <laughs> <laughs> yes but like physically how does it work like just yeah. how, how does it generate lift i don't know uh anyway like what kind of yeah. like the drew physics of a bumblebee <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so the reason why i went back to yogurt's room in this in this tangent was that these dorm room scenes that you have like when when they're first you know, they're first getting tossed back into the room and Will Wheaton's, you know, throwing around this ridiculous New York accent and they're going on and on. The dorm room scenes, if you've ever been in college or in this case, boarding school and been mm-hmm. in a dorm setting, these felt particularly authentic to me. Like this, this setting and the boys, like we laugh about it and we talk about the kids being, you know, walking around in their briefs or mm-hmm. their, you know, underwear or whatever. But I think that was intentional. I think that was someone saying, no, I remember what it was like living in a boy's dorm. And mm-hmm. I think regardless of if there were terrorists on, on campus or not, there would be sort of this, this energy still, of these kids just, you know, goofing off in the room or, you know, giving each other a hard time. And then in Sean Aston's case, you know, he's trying to use these dorm room 
you know, these dorm room moments as the, um, as the scenes where, you know, the action heroes sit around a table and plan yeah. their, uh, plan their, you know, takeover or plan what they're going to do, yeah. their, their attack. Yeah. It's their war room. I mean, if yeah, the only the thing I can, I can say, Sean Astin and Will Wheaton's room, way too spacious. Right. Right. Just, <laughs> it looks like they're just, they just, like, they would have been the envy of the school. Like, they, yeah. they have three rooms <laughs> worth of a room. Yeah. I, I lived in a dorm room like that where it was about half that size, but it was still a three guy room where you had three bunks. Yes. And oh. so, yeah, that was, uh, that pretty, was interesting to me. But those, yeah, those mine scenes... was a quarter of that size for two. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, for, yeah, that, that's my university experience. Yeah. Like, when I went to a dorm room. It was just like, there were just beds, desks, and not a whole lot more space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like any, uh, you know, if someone brought a lady over, this was kind of like we gotta leave because this, because <laughs> this is gonna get nasty in here. It's just like, yeah. a, like it's, there's no way you can just hide it away, and especially like with someone like someone's like 21. They're you no, know, it's gonna be very quick, but you know, <laughs> they're, 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 yeah. but it's gonna be just you know, like it's gonna be loud and just obnoxious. Uh, yeah, so right, I, it brings I, you I back. love this. Yeah, I love this scene when he sort of. Uh, gets the other guys in on the reconnaissance mission and says, okay, we got to just get all the information we can on the, the terrorists. And we're going to get it to the outside somehow. And he knew, yeah. he knew yeah. what they were going to do. And then, then, you know, the scenes on the quad where they're I mean, asking, hold, hold on, hold on. That's, that's, be, that's after Will Wheaton's character has a, has a very interesting line because he was just like, we can, we can take the rifles and fucking sh- yeah. shred them. Right. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. what are you yeah. talking about? Like, this is no, this is the mafioso talking. Yeah, and that's the just dad like, talking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so he's, he's almost like Sean Astin is almost like a voice of reason in there. It's just like, okay, well, I agree. We can't really just go and get ourselves killed, but we can do something. And this something is something that we do we do well. Clandestine operations, like we know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So then you know, like when they're out when they're out on the quad, I was I was thinking back to something because I said something on an, another podcast a while back about sudden death, mm-hmm. and how the, this lost art of the real setting, the real environment in an action movie, and mm-hmm. how this campus just feels so real and tangible. Uh, you know, you're you, go to the cafeteria and you go to the, the the dorm rooms and this basement and the quad and by the end of the film you feel kind of like you know a little bit of your way around it and mm-hmm. i feel like in a lot of modern action movies you, you don't get that you you might get a lot of stuff that's cgi or it's just sort of shot in a way that doesn't feel like a tangible setting and that was something that during these scenes when they're doing the reconnaissance and they're going mm-hmm. around campus doing all this it felt it felt very real to me I mean, I suppose because the exterior shots were shot at an actual school. Yeah, yeah. The interiors were shot at the same school, weren't they? Yeah, I'm not and sure. This, I mean, possibly. Yeah. And and yeah. the fun fact is that this this campus was the same one that they shot the Damon Wayans movie uh, Major Pain a couple of years yes. later. Uh-huh. Yeah, really. <laughs> also, yeah. another fun fact is like in the cafeteria they have there is this sort of like bathroom that's kind of like important towards the end of the film when they're sneaking into the uh, Louis yes. Cali's office. It's an it's a closet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like the door leads yeah. nowhere. They're just like we just need a bathroom in this. So the bathroom is kind of elsewhere. Yeah, but the, the guy who walks into the bathroom is just he's walking into a closet. Yeah, we needed to go somewhere, <laughs> you know, in in relation to where we're at. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah. I love that that was a revenue source for the school. Like they're just 
during summer break, clearly renting it out to Hollywood for productions. Yeah, because they awesome. clearly didn't get enough money in tuition from all these, you know, <laughs> right, politicians' they, kids. They also only had 92 students. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, during yeah. all that, the reconnaissance and stuff, one of the things that's, that kind of felt real also was, like, this is how boys would be doing this. They're drawing in their notebooks, which feels yeah. very, like, high school. Mm-hmm. Like, so, obviously, Joey is sort of the the artist will wheaton's character so he's drawing pictures of what these terrorists look like and Mm -hmm. they're they're marking up their yearbook with the campus photo and where all the guards are and stuff this was just like a very cool and interesting way to communicate that that you would have seen in another action movie trope of delivering the the reconnaissance but they're doing it in this sort of high school format your comparison here to other other action films i think is a very interesting one because i think um, yeah, certainly you get your own thing in action films of today, but even action films of the 80s and 90s, most of them ended up in empty warehouses or abandoned factories or boiler rooms. And you don't have any of that here. Like <laughs> maybe the heating ducts a little, but that's as close as you get to it. So it does, mm-hmm. it is very tactile because of the on location feel, which is sort of a throwback to 70s filmmaking. And, you know, it like, and it's something that I really like about, uh, about this film. So I think that that's a good point that you raise but then the movie's montages the movie's montages they don't yeah, exist without rocky 3 and rocky 4 i would just say true that's it feels very rocky-esque especially when they're just like oh well, they need to figure out what's what so they all just go and uh supplant someone who's just um i don't know supposed to take coffee and sandwiches to people in the in the clock tower yeah. and they'll sean astin's gonna this is again another piece of like silent silent defiance you know spit into the into their yeah. sandwiches and it's just really doing a good job with the <laughs> just <laughs> just really just and then and then and then the camera just holds for just a second longer than it should on the guy eating a sandwich and enjoying it <laughs> it's just the best <laughs> yeah yeah but montages are a big thing in the i remember like a team and airwolf and all these films in the sorry, all these shows in the 80s would also have these montages when you're setting a plan into motion, you need the montage beforehand. Mm-hmm. So that's it's so that in a way that, that this film is a product of its time as well. And then I think as it's going on, we're also kind of just getting to, to grips almost with the story B of the film where because there's Louis Kali's sort of stakes as in like, well, we need to get uh, my dad out of prison. Yeah, so as the, as the montages are going along, I think this is where we're starting to kind of be a little bit more introduced to what's happening outside the school. Because, you know, as as the sort of the diehard premise takes takes shape, you also have the outside world where, where you have the sort of the FBI trying to figure out what to do. And then again, the 80s, we don't negotiate with terrorists. It's just like Saigon, eh, Slick? I was, you know, it's, it's one of those. Um then you have your this sort of the big sort of confrontation of egos outside and the sort of the story B of uh uh Joey is it Joey? Yeah, Joey's dad, the mafioso, trying to figure out how to deal with with on the back and then trying to get his dad released or something, right? Or yeah. just or put a put in a good word for him. Like there's this sort of scene, like just get in touch with them so he can send a code uh, back to the school so they would release him. And this is how uh essentially the second act takes shape right i mean this yeah joey's dad meeting with his sort of mafia uh guys to to tell him to make a deal with uh cali to get get his son out of there that scene i mean i kind of felt like it was a little bit rushed i don't know this is 
Is this before or after Sean Astin? Uh, this is before the, the escape scene. This is escape when scene, he yeah. has this conversation with his guys. This is right before that escape. Uh, yeah. But but right after the sort of reconnaissance montage. Yeah. And uh, so Jerry Orbach meets with this guy and he's like, yeah, he's like, my son hates me, but, you know, I love him. And it just yeah. it didn't it didn't feel like there was enough of a like a weighty emotion. I don't know. This was just one of the small things in a, in a movie mm-hmm. I really like that still stuck out to me as like, man, I wish they had done that a little bit differently or done something to really make me believe that he loved his son this much. He's this sort of yeah. hard ass mafia guy. To me, yeah. it stands out as a bit of a tack on because the fact that this guy is the, the mob guy, this sets a couple of things in motion later, like the assassination and the, you know, uh, just the the motives and actions well, on, on well, Cali. the assassination, the murder of of, of Joey, yeah, essentially yes. sets 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 the clock right, yeah. because then after that they know okay, well the the guy's dad's gonna get no no right. the uh, Enrique Cali is gonna get a bullet somewhere in prison because they're not gonna let it go. So you know, okay, well something needs to happen because otherwise, if you if you, if nothing happens, these people could just persist in this. Like we're still figuring it out. Okay, well another twenty four yeah. hours. So the, like something needs to happen. Yeah. So yeah, this is so why it's there. This is why it's there. Yeah, exactly. But. <laughs> Um, it doesn't feel organic to the rest of everything that's going on. So it's, it's tacked on. It has a function. It has a function to the plot because it, you know, kickstarts a couple of other uh, elements. So I don't necessarily know how to fix the problem unless you introduce a couple of the dads earlier on. Maybe they're mm-hmm. dropping them off at school or something and you get a bit more background. But as it is, like it, it, it feels a little bit of a, a, a tack on in that moment that why are we spending yeah. all of a sudden, why are we spending a moment with uh, Jerry Orbach? I, I think what was what was missing was like a phone call or something from Jerry Orbach to Will Wheaton earlier in Maybe. the film or something where he was trying to reach out to him about something. And Will Wheaton, you know, we already know from that lineup scene with all the students that Will Wheaton's not he's not proud of his dad. He's not proud of what mm-hmm. he d- does. And he mm-hmm. you know, doesn't doesn't like him. And so. If we just had some kind of interaction, I think that might have given a little bit more to that, to where he's like, no, I want to get my son out. You know, I feel like, you know, even if it was like a, like an argument or something, you know, something where he's like, I don't want this to be the last time I talk to my son. I need to, I need to get him and get him out. And I don't know. But anyway. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. then yeah, it would be difficult to actually, I mean, I understand where you're coming from. Like this, this thing kind of needs an anchor for these characters for, because it, it's kind of sort of meaningless. Uh, and if you really want to poke at it and say, yeah, I suppose this is where it's kind of the writing kind of just not the best. But again, like when you think about it, where would you put a scene like this? Otherwise, be, until this point, that the film's watertight. Oh yeah, and and I'm not and <laughs> so, I'm not yeah. criticizing the placement of the scene. It was just more of the execution for me. I, yeah, I, I just, suppose, yeah. I just yeah. I just would have liked. I don't know. Yeah, and I, and I and I'm not sure how to fix it. But that was just one of those little things that mm-hmm. might that will probably come up in my bottom three. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, so then they have that, they follow this up with another dorm room scene where they figure out, oh, we need to switch the chips between oh, I've got questions. Callie's yeah. detonator <laughs> and the airplane, because the, the kid who's the, the techie guy, yogurt knows, oh, there's chips like this and everything. We can all figure standardized. this out. <laughs> yeah. The chips are standardized, so it's going to be the yeah. same. Oh yeah, he, for sure. I've got Re- questions. Yeah. I've got one. Yeah. How does the chip work? 
by the way. I mean, the whole, the whole switch, right? Because I'm just, like, when I was 12, I was just like, of course you need to switch, switch the chips. And then he's going to just press the button and the, and the plane's going to go. Why? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's an action movie. We just got to roll with it, baby. Because <laughs> it's an action movie. <laughs> no, there I'm you just go. Th- I'm just thinking to myself, well, they want to switch the chip. And so, okay, well, but, well, they're paired to each other. So how I, how are they paired? I'm just, well, I think yeah, there's, I, there's a bit of logic that I'm just kind of missing in there. And they're just, I mean, this is just nineties for you, yeah, which it was, it's yeah. just great. Like just, just get with the program, stupid. Just, yeah. <laughs> just I, I, I had I a note on that idea. too. It's like, why do they, why do they replace it? Why do they go to that effort? If they break into the room, Later just on. remove it just, just remove just it. take it or smash it yeah, or, yeah. just or which is no no because no guy. because if you remove also, it, it i know the, the light the light, the know, light goes, of course i mean but then yeah. again yes. why <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> don't yeah. want to send off his wristwatch that looks like the the simon game from the 1980s oh, it just exactly. looked to me like the, like this was they raided the uh um the set cl- the, the closet from the uh, set of of predator to or predator, <laughs> yeah. just, it looks like just he has this sort of like little sort of swivel thing that he's gonna just blow himself up. With. Yeah. So once they've established that, I I mean I don't know about you guys, but the escape scene uh, is one of my favorites in the movie. With of Billy, course. Yeah. Yeah. It's Billy the best. getting them to <laughs> yeah to execute this this grand uh, plan to get him off campus. This was probably my favorite moment in the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's it's such an elaborate set piece as well because they kind of have to. I mean, for for me, there are, there are a few elements to it that kind of make it so so damn gr- great. I mean, first of all, is that he actually has to escape, and then also getting back in there is a mm-hmm. struggle. Yeah, and it's on a watch, like it's on a clock, right? Yeah, he's, right. so it's he, a great suspense piece. So he he has sixty minutes to accomplish all of it. It feels like it takes longer because they have to drive him somewhere else because uh, he, he just jumps in he just runs into i suppose a pair of snipers in full camouflage why yeah <laughs> it's the 90s stupid get yeah, with the yeah. program yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah it's just they have these moments i mean i suppose when he's getting back you kind of have to i mean on his way out they arrange for uh the lookouts on the on on the roof to look the other way because they distract him with the plane but he doesn't have the same coverage on the way back so you kind of have to suspend your disbelief a little bit more for this well, what i took from that is when he was coming back maybe he had communicated to either the dean or the military guys that he was working with that he needed the rooftop guards to be distracted in order to get back in and that that's why the helicopter flies back over mm-hmm. when he's trying to get back into the building and they actually shoot down one helicopter just to get the boy back in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, they, yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. The helicopter does the like the flyby to get back, get him back in. Yeah. It's, uh, and then, and the, then of yeah. course the the genius thing of well he's he's ran through this drainage pipe and gotten soaked, so he's quick enough on his feet to think I need to strip down and pretend that I'm coming from the shower. Now this is the best yeah. moment of this. Just saying, just gonna say, the thinking of on your feet moment of when he says, "Holy shit!" Like he knows this is not gonna look good because they all know I'm soaking wet, and he figures out, and you don't know what he's having. Like he's like, he's gonna strip down. It's like you can see his ass and everything, right? <laughs> and, and and it's just the best. And he's just, also in the same scene, this is gonna make an appearance on my bottom list though, 
when they're trying to pre- figure just cheat a little bit and then and then make them think that no the count's correct right he goes like yeah. no oh, it's still 91 and they go again and then as he's as, as we're intercutting with sean astin trying to make his way back they're still counting and then you know like michael champions goes it's still 91 and then there's this moment where um Ru- T.E. T- Russell, T. E. Russell yeah. is the only black kid yes. in the school <laughs> yeah. is the one who's going like oh let me just slot in to pretend yeah. I'm somebody else like no take little, literally just anybody else anybody else probably work. anybody yeah. else would work maybe no Montoya just leave Montoya because he's already made him made a name for himself because you know Luis Cali knows who yeah. he is because he had had a had a face to face with him so anybody by these two yeah. what? yogurt yo- that could have been yogurt's roommates yeah he could have had a saving moment just yogurt's unnamed roommate yeah oh, we could have got Jesus. Corey Haim doing the, the the double count moment saving the day and could you imagine and there's just like could this this would have been a great scene because they were just well it, the, the, the sort of the the switch is successful. Ninety zero disperse, and this is when Sean Aston just waltzes in, in his towels. Just sorry, I'm late for the counts. Like, no, but you, but the counts the counts okay. Yeah. So yeah. So what happened? Okay, we'll have well, to execute one of you then because we have access. <laughs> and, then, and then once Sean Aston shows up, they they do this thing now where I feel like they hinted at something and they didn't explore it, which was, Cali takes. Sean Astin, uh, Billy into his office and says, you know, you don't, you're, you don't, uh, have, um, respect for authority. You, you need to learn your lesson and basically has him pushes him over onto the desk and starts whipping him with this, what feels like a, like a metal pointer or like an antenna it's sort a, of thing. Yeah. It's a metal pointer of like, or like a, like a, like a radio antenna, right? Yeah. It yeah. starts whipping him on his back like that. And he, and he says, you know, I went to a military school too, or I went to a, a boarding school too. Mm-hmm. And so there's a little bit of a, I see a little bit of myself in you that they they yeah. kind of hint at. And I, and I had to learn a lesson and now you're going to learn a lesson and they kind of leave it at that. But um, I thought that was an interesting scene. <laughs> this is the uh, deaf, deaf poet society moment where I think Nuanda gets spanked. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's assume just like the position, assume the yeah. position, just, <laughs> get some paddling <laughs> also my my question to this is this he didn't bring the pointer with him this is something that the headmaster had in his office so yeah as far as i'm concerned he's like christian gray with his like torture chamber <laughs> office where it's just this is what he does he just whips these students yeah <laughs> yeah denholm elliot what are you doing with this no um, <laughs> clearly he also just tells people this i think it's in the montage uh when no when they're distracting uh, the guys with a plane. He goes like, "Well, kids, this is a book." <laughs> okay, you know what I thought there? I thought that there was an opportunity there for his character ha- to have something hidden in that book because he he never he, like he opens it and then I, I just thought that would have been really interesting. The, <laughs> like they the set Shawshank it up. Shawshank Redemption. There's this. Where they have something hidden in the book. Cut out of a gun like, in there. Yeah, like a gun in there or something. And he's like, this is a book. And he's like, this is very important for you to remember. And then later it comes back and pays off. But but no, no. Uh, so yeah. So then um, after after uh, Callie like whips Billy, the scene, I, I, I love the scene where 
the military and the FBI are like assessing the reconnaissance of uh, that Billy Billy did and all this information and how Dean Parker now once now he has to sort of turn this leaf and say no I believe in this kid I I believe mm-hmm. you know I, he may not get the class mm-hmm. on time but I think he can pull this off yeah. This is a good moment, but yeah. we're starting to get into a fine line for me in terms of the usefulness of that character in, ter- in terms of helping the military. Oh but no, yeah, that's he's helped. That's like, a nice moment to me. His yeah. usefulness ends at, at at helping Billy escape. Right, this is where like Lou Gossett because he, he comes out of nowhere like Reginald Bell Johnson. But but then like the whole idea, like I'm gonna tag along. Like when my note was like, this is like the guy from Broken Arrows. Like I wish I was coming with you guys. <laughs> yeah, I almost wish they would have had the military insist on a plan of action that he didn't agree with and that he thought wasn't gonna work. And mm-hmm. and then he just kind of goes rogue. And maybe he goes through the uh, the drain to get in and is like, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to help help the boys in a way that the military's, you know, they're planning something else. I feel like that might have been a way to work his character in a little bit better, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean to me I'd yeah. I'd sort of leave him out. I to me I feel we're getting into a little bit more of the the Hollywood action movie sensationalism as opposed to that, you know, one foot is firmly grounded in like a seventies type of action and just having gossip be part of the, the group that storms the, the, the facility uh, like that, that just doesn't work for me. And just putting him in harm's way, putting a civilian in harm's way at the, at the tail end of this, we're, we're, we're getting out of uh, territory where I'm cool with it. But at he's, all. but he, mm. but they, oh, he, he tags along with them to show them where the, where the drain is. Yeah. And he goes like, Oh, if I if I could just walk with you, I will show I'll show you where the coverage is, and then all of a sudden these these sort of professionals they get themselves wiped out by a dead guy with a grenade. Yeah, <laughs> all of but, them. It's just, it's just okay. But he should have stayed on the other side of the drain pipe. Is is my thing? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah no I mean, arguments that, there. <laughs> that that could have worked because they could have just done it like the Reginald Vell Johnson character where. He stays over there and is communicating with them. And then at, at the end, he shows up when the ambulance is there. And, you know, obviously he and Sean Astin would have had a moment. You know, they always have mm-hmm, to have a moment mm-hmm. where they see each other and they're like, yeah, you know, you did good kid sort of thing. Uh, but, yeah, you know, now we're moving into this act three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and it, yeah. So, my, so one of, we, yeah. We have to kind of t- touch on Joey's death, right? Come on. Yeah, this is this is yeah. the one of my, you know, I, I, I won't spoil it, but I will say it, it's, it's a scene that I had issues with because it was so important. It was important mm-hmm. to have one of the rejects get killed. It, yeah. Just to raise the stakes to, you know, you'd already seen that the terrorists were serious. They had taken out people and killed people already, but we hadn't lost one of our, our crew yet. And I, I felt like this was also kind of rushed and mm-hmm. even the way it was edited, um, you know, the, I, I felt like it just, it was very rushed. Uh, I don't know. I felt it because like at this point you kind of just, um, like you, you feel like you're friends with these guys. Mm-hmm. So to me, it felt important because like Joe, Joe, I suppose in in sort of any group dynamics, whether it's Goonies or Stand by Me, like these characters are kind of stenciled, right? Like they're kind of 
they're kind of like stand-ins for a single sort of character trait. Like one's the leader, one's the one's the goof, one's the uh, one's one's the smartass, one's the something, right? So, but in here they're kind of like Joey is kind of uh, almost multi-layered for me. Like he's kind of one of the more complex characters in there because you know like Keith Coogan is essentially the guy who just wipes boogers on people's on people's shirts, right? Like he, yeah. That's all he does. He, he doesn't extend to anything. But Billy and Joey, they're the two characters who actually just go through arcs, right? Uh, and then it felt important to me. It, it was a great choice to actually get to off him, not like Keith Coogan, because we were just like, who gives a shit? <laughs> well, Keith just, Coogan yeah. has to, he has to have his own uh, sort of humorous <clears throat> way to help save the day, which is when he has his asthma attack later. But we yes. can yes. Yeah. We can yeah. get yeah. into that. But, I'll say this about Joey Will Wheaton's character is uh, I I agree I really like this scene and I think that this uh, this produces a sort of a, an impactful moment where I'm not necessarily used to always getting one because this there is a heart to to Joey and I'm not used to that from Will Wheaton having watched you know many seasons of uh, <laughs> Star Trek: The Next Generation so uh, this here I'm seeing some acting chops and and Will do you Wheaton. like him with uh, what like leeches on his on his ass. <laughs> I, it's been so long since I've seen that, so I'll just I'll stick with my Will Crusher <laughs> comp. Um, but I think he's he's really good in this scene. And as far as the characters written, the the fact that he's the guy in the group, like even Billy probably wouldn't in this moment, mm-hmm. uh, you know, fight back because he's got this moment where he's he's confronting the idea of go to your dad and your dad's your savior and he's like no s- screw that i'm i'm one of the guys i am not like my dad and that's what sets him over the edge and he takes the gun and he goes out and, and starts shooting in, into the quad and i think this is a a very special moment for for this character and it's very impactful that one of the kids is suddenly unhinged you know in in this sort of unique way and and the fact that it's this character you know there's there's a depth there right because he's mm-hmm. got this he's got this these daddy issues and you know there's some strong stuff there i i really like this moment in fact i'd say it's one of the more uh impactful moments yeah. in the film i for suppose me. the top three lists are going to be a massive echo chamber but you know, what? <laughs> I, you know what i think i think that randy may have turned me around on this scene because i was I'm now thinking about the scene earlier when he was in the the bedroom and he was talking about um, Jennifer. No, 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 not Jennifer. When he, when he says, Oh, you know, we'll just get a machine gun and we're going to tear these guys up. So he had this scenario kind of in his mind already and how it was going to, how it was going to happen. And I think that this is the realism of this is uh, many people find that once they start firing a, a gun, uh, and, a, and an automatic weapon at that, uh, it's going to be a little different than you're expecting. And, yeah. and it just, yeah. he loses control. And yeah, yeah. so... And I think he's Jack the kid shit. in the group that would do it. Like, other kids, a couple of the other kids, like Billy grabs a gun at the end, another kid grabs it. But we're, we're into sort of the, the Hollywood climax at the moment, and there's a lot of moving parts. But in this moment, I think that, uh, you know... Will Crusher is the one that's going to man up, and of this group, he's the guy that's going to grab the gun. That's that's my take, and I think it's sort of interesting and um, adds a certain layer to yeah. to this character. Yeah, I'm I'm on board with it. I for for me, this moment is actually doubly important as well because this is where I mean, you know, like for this whole episode, I mean, for this whole film, it, like, and essentially until this point, you could convince yourself being a teenager, this could be me. 
you know mm-hmm. this could be my school i could save the i could save the day and this is where like this is the rubber meets the road moment because like up to this point they all just do this reconnaissance and then escaping this all the stuff that they're good at but at some point they would have to take charge and do something actually useful right and then this is the moment when you realize that the reality and your wish fulfillment fantasy are two different things because he grabs the gun and he accomplishes absolute jack shit because he fires the gun, just fires essentially into the air and they just gun him down. And he has like this moment when he gets this of the three bullet holes all across his chest. This actually hit me because this is, mm-hmm. again, this is where you're like, holy shit, this could be me. You know, mm-hmm. if I actually did this, this, this is how I would end up. So, <laughs> so, you know, this is the reality check moment where you just realize, okay, I, yeah. this is my fantasy ends here hollywood begins now yeah i and think i think, I think an, you guys have made me sorry. made me a believer or it like turned me around <laughs> on, on the merits of this scene because I tell cause, you. yeah because i was i was really coming in ready to be like ah you know like because i let i feel like this is a very important scene i mm-hmm. i i love the the momentum that's coming up to it and i was just like i don't know i it might have just been like the the way i saw it this last time in terms of like what I was expecting. And, but yeah, I, I'm totally on board with you guys on and, this. And if I may, I'd, I'd like to add another thing. What this scene also does in the moments after it adds another layer of depth, uh, I think to the Luis Cali character, because this complicates what Cali's trying to do. He's trying to release him to, um, you know, get in good with the mob boss. And maybe there's some, you know, connections and help that can come from, you know, releasing Joey, but it actually makes things worse. So he's got this exchange at the door where, okay, no, you have to, you have to pass on. So this he's, he's talking, he's talking to uh, the Dean Gossett Jr. You've got to pass on to uh, that. This was an accident. Didn't mean to kill this child. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting humanization and characterization of this villain right which this is not the the 90s villain that we're going to see in the years that follow this is this is not our this is the Alan 80s Rickman villain. type of villain yeah <laughs> so it was more of a 70s villain yeah. <laughs> but but it's interesting too like in terms of that character because it, it further grounds that character like i really like the the villain here in um, this moment in this moment it's also an interesting exchange because it kind of hags back to your sort of uh angle on this randy on this of the political newscasty realism right because uh he says well tell him it was an accident tell everyone this was an accident because he knows okay like the 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 guys that hold significant sway over over the situation he can he can get his father killed and he does right uh but but he says well Make sure this, that everybody knows this was an accident. And Lou Gossett Jr. says, "Like, well, it's not an accident. Like, it wouldn't have happened if you if you people didn't hadn't taken over the school." And then to which he immediately replies with, "Well, wouldn't we wouldn't have to if you if you people didn't kidnap my father?" And I was just like, "Well, you, you know, you and, and then you didn't have to first of all." And but then and then he follows it up with just like Lou, Lou Gossett Jr. goes goes into this sort of moralizing. It's like, well, you know. What happens if you, if, if you, even if you accomplish this, you kill everyone, you get away, whatever, you do, you get what you want. We're going to hunt you down and kill you. And then you say, you Americans, you always say, but you never do. And yeah. I feel this is a comment. Like a poli- <laughs> this is social commentary right there. This is yeah. a political commentary. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is written in sort of, hmm, how do I put this? <clears throat> in the style of some of the political bickering of the, the 70s and 80s between groups. Yeah. In, in my mind, you know, like, well, 
if you didn't come here, if you, you know, if, if you didn't do this, you know, we wouldn't have done this. And it's just sort of a, it's a rhetoric, a back and forth rhetoric, just where the, the sides are just at odds and can't get along. Like it's, it's just sort of the, the terrorism rhetoric from the, from the seventies and eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's sort of my take and that, that's, and, and again, like it, it, it feels in a way sort of honest to that. So yeah, it, probably is a bit of a comment whether intentional or not but it's certainly coming i think from not from deep it this is, type of discussion yeah. yeah yeah no and it, it fed into the 90s i mean i think that's a, a lot of what these action movies you know a good portion of them were were kind of carrying over that that rhetoric and that that terrorism uh depiction into mm-hmm. into movies like this um this is of the sort of the chickens coming home to roost sort of terrorism, right? Like we, like the American government almost said we are not American, right? But <laughs> like it's just like the American government's going around the world being Team America World Police, just fixing governments, doing whatever they think. It's, oh, we're just uh, spreading democracy and doing whatever. Yeah. But in doing so, they just, well, attract the ire of people who are personally affected by this, right? Like yeah. in this... And then just, I suppose the nationality, then just there's a switch somewhere in the mid 90s between the Colombian drug lords who are going to get a brief, brief sort of a few years of, because in the 80s we get the Soviets, then we have the Colombian mm-hmm. drug lords, and then we have yeah. the uh, the Arab terrorists, and then 9 yeah. 11 happens and it's no longer invoked to do this. Uh, yeah, and a, for obvious reasons. A lot, of, reasons. <laughs> a lot yeah. of the 90s, in a lot of the 90s films, you see these these uh, either American or American adjacent sort of terrorists that are, are wronged or like, you know, situations like the rock with Ed Harris, the siege, you know, know, the siege you have like Tommy Lee Jones and under siege, you know, Mm -hmm. someone like um, powers booth and sudden death, which I, you know, I I know mentioned already, you know, a a secret service agent who is disenfranchised from, you know, or, Powers, Powers Booth yeah. and Tommy Lee Jones in Under Siege are essentially uh, the prototypes for Timothy Oliphant in Lefrio Die Hard, I'm just saying. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so you had, to, you, you had to create this sort of new template. And the last one I remember really being an issue or being something where people talked about it was uh, True Lies because True Lies, and that might be the one of the things that has aged the, the most poorly with, the, with True Lies is it's really it's about these Middle Eastern terrorists Mm-hmm. And their, you know, their interaction with the uh, with Schwarzenegger's, uh, you know, his his family and how he's being tied into this whole setting of a you know. nuclear bomb in yeah. Key West. Right, right. So <laughs> don't look. <Yeah. laughs> so so it's interesting how I we, we moved movie. out of that, but you know, for the most part, through through the nineties, we moved away from that. Spoilers, as far as spoilers for True Lies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it's, uh, it's an interesting talking point, though, because we, we've said it before how often um, horror films are a reflection of, you know, the the fears of the time. But it's it's there in action films too, sort of starting with your, uh, you know, what we know as an action films now, which sort of came into being in the late mm-hmm. 70s, early 80s that, you know, you said, yeah, like Russians, but then also in the 90s, like whatever the evils in the news were, <laughs> you yeah. know, so drugs. War on drugs and, you know, uh, inner city issues, you know, so, that, you know, these types of things end up being reflected in our inner villains. It's, yeah, it's a good point. It's a, yeah, so it, it, I don't know, it kind of, 
feels like the first, I mean I I would never I would have I, I would accuse like David Kep and Dan, Daniel Petri of just like well let's say something important about this <laughs> about with this film you know it's I mean I suppose the most sort of intri- intrinsically sort of interesting uh thematic aspect of the film is the sort of the the sins of your father sort of scenario of well uh, if you if you have a teenage boy and you realize well you know like maybe i should pay more attention because like he's you know i wonder what he's gonna do uh, so or it's yeah. just like well would if would this have happened if 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 their dads weren't so damn successful at their jobs or if they paid a little bit less attention to their high high flying careers right um you know it, but then again this is a conversation like we had with uh with rafael on suspiria it's again it's just like i'm i'm glad we're having this conversation it's not in the film <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It's> yeah. Just... <laughs> yeah. i think yeah. i think the the message more is that you know they were they were seen as problem kids yeah uh, but they they had good in them and they were you know able to you know and, and that the good in them that possibly lou gossett jr knew was there uh you know came to light in the end and you know is what ultimately saved them this should um, be an unofficial sequel to problem child too by the way there you go <laughs> <laughs> um it's just saying this is problem child too with money yeah yeah no they just imagine they sent him away yeah this i mean this could i mean when did child's play three come out Right at the same time. <laughs> oh, right around this. It was uh, maybe a little Feels bit like... after, I think, Child's Play 3. That was like early 90s. 91, yeah. yeah. <laughs> same year, right? So, yeah. Yeah. I think so the, yeah, next, I think, the yeah. next big set piece that was the one that I, this is another one I really liked, was basically them having to swap the chips. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and Billy again, why? Like at this point, just yeah. to remove the chip, it's, like yeah. everything, everyone's Constantly. busy. There's helicopters flying overhead. Yeah. Lou Gossett Junior. Junior is already picking up the gun because someone lost a leg. Like shit's happening. And, and, <laughs> yeah, and if anything, because of the fact that now you have you have Keith Coogan pretending to have an asthma attack in the cafeteria to, to distract them, and then Billy and Yogurt are sneaking into the you know, the ventilation system. So die hard. Hello. Die hard. They're crawling yes. through the ventilation system. Again, and then it's the eighties ventilation system. Like try, yeah. try and cl- crawl. Like you've seen some probably YouTube videos of people failing and doing this when people just fall through the ceiling. Right. Cause right. like the ventilation <laughs> system is not, not built to support a human body. Yeah. Being I doubt the ventilation system in an old, old building such as this is probably has that big a duct. Honestly. Yeah. 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 And, and then the other the other one that this felt it's like was when he's when he's crawling, when he sneaks down into the uh, into the headmaster's office, this was very Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. And he and he's having to do the, the chip thing. And then he hears he hears the, the henchman coming and hides under the desk. That was that was like a, a, an image that I remembered, you know, really well from seeing this as a kid was mm-hmm. him hiding under, under the desk when the henchman comes in. Yeah, I well, feel, that, well, I feel yeah. that's a very familiar moment, but I love the way he leaps over the desk. That yeah. was animated. Yeah. <laughs> he flies yeah. over the desk. Although this is where, because I think the henchman that comes in, that's uh, Michael Champion again, right? Yes. And we, we kind of just keep dancing around him. But he's, to me at least, he's kind of almost scarier than Callie. 
because yeah. he barely says anything. He, it's like he's also an American, so it's kind of like it's it's not like he has a dog in this fight. He's just doing this for money, and he's wearing this sort of like a fishing vest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he has a very distinct look, you know. Like yeah, he's like one of those henchmen where it's like, yeah, he's got the glasses and the flat top, and just yeah. Yeah, so he's scary, and he also mm-hmm. barely says anything. He just obeys and just does this these horrible things. It's just the best. <laughs> but he acts quick, right? So he's the one that goes he's, and finds the files and comes up with a plan B. And yeah. he's, he's he's the, the brains of the operation. Boots right? on the ground. Yeah, like yeah, he's the he's yeah. the on switch for the operation. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah he's then, kind of like the fixer of this guy. He's just like, oh sh- shit, my my big plan didn't work. I don't know what are we gonna do, Jack. Let me think of something. Oh, I know. Here's my secondary idea, and just like, oh, what what would I do without you, Jack? Oh, you have fucking been dead already seventeen yeah. times. Dressed like Pete from Twin Peaks. <laughs> yes, just <laughs> it's just he knows it's Jack Nance. It's just, yeah. it's just like there is a fish. <laughs> In the pack, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. But but then in the scene, I always have to congratulate Sean Astin for being able to to do a a pull up into the the air duct because like in the bathroom they can they can help themselves with the stall yeah. walls, yeah, uh, with the, sort of the se- separation walls. And here he just does a straight pull up into the duct and he goes in. I'm just like. And there's there's two oh, shots. There's yes. one where it could possibly be a stunt person from behind, I'm but then from sure the inside of the duct, you can from see from the face. inside. It's definitely him, and yeah. he's doing and he's, at least he's most of up. the pull up. At least, yeah, he's he's <laughs> yeah. sort of impressive. <laughs> so, yeah. props to him. But you know, because you, I don't. This is this is just. Me. Well, it's also and, fr- from the inside of the duct. It kind of feels like it's um it's in Jurassic Park. There's the scene where I think uh, the the girl almost falls out and falls off of the duck, and the raptor gets her. Yeah, similar scene. I think they, you know, Spielberg clearly saw this and ripped it up. Sean Astin, I think. I mean, with we we haven't really talked about this yet, but I feel like maybe this was his like peak physical condition in a in a movie, because, and and I don't know if the producers told him. What was he in you're, Rudy? You're going. I was to thinking be... of Rudy, but I haven't seen rudy i yeah i i i feel like this one more Rudy's well definitely more than rudy the producers may have said hey you know we're gonna have you in tank tops and like cutoffs like the whole movie oh, this is gonna so, make an appearance by the way so, <laughs> so you might want to you might want to be in the the best shape of your life at this point so that was that was just something funny i i i remember noting when i was watching the movie because i was like I mean, he's going. He wasn't in this in this condition in like Whitewater Summer, and you know he's a kid, a little. He's a little kid in Goonies, and so you're just thinking, like, yeah, he's maybe they they said, yeah, this is an action movie, so you might want to step it up. Yeah, put on, <laughs> put on some muscle for this. Yeah, Especially how old is like, he here? Do we know? Oh, uh, around like I think like eighteen or nineteen. I think so. He okay. was born in 1971, so he was supposed to at best 19 when they were filming. Yeah, mm. he could just naturally with whenever his growth spurt was he could just have trimmed right down and yeah. leaned up and yeah yeah so you know so they yeah, they it all kind of hits the fan pretty quickly here after they swap the chip because then the military is yeah. coming in and this it's, was it's only <laughs> this kind of was like five minutes or less yeah. the whole thing right yeah they they wrap this up really quick but you kind of have to congratulate the, the final set piece because, like we, like I know, like you could almost think that there is no set piece because there are these, there's there are four 
because well, there's the assault as in like there's the soldiers trying to get in there's the distraction coming in from because like they know the okay well we need to assault the, the the place now because so there's the helicopters coming in there's there's the big um switcheroo with keith coogan pretending he has an asthma attack there's this there's the chip switching scene with with michael champion almost getting in on the action and there's also um the uh taking out taking out the guard who actually uh finds out that they were in the duct all of these things yeah. are kind of happening simultaneously and these right. are all very small things yeah. but they all kind of adapt to this big set piece so it almost feels like it's a scaled down version of something like star wars or like return of the jedi where i have these yeah. sort of like separated teams of people doing different things all converging at this one place when this all kind of just comes to a head in louis cali's well the headmaster's office when he gets a bullet to the head in the squib is just like this yeah <laughs> Yeah. And, but but not to you know and then not to uh to ignore um sean astin then getting all the students into the basement and yes sort of evacuating exactly, yeah. the care the the cafeteria with with taking out so they take out the two guards right right at that point which is one of my favorite and probably the maybe the most quoted lines in the movie with pots and pans Mm-hmm. And that, that's mm-hmm. the one that always comes up when I see it mentioned on online pots is pans. pots and pans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the guy's like, oh, yeah, pots and pans. And he's like, yeah. And then just knocks them out with the, the pot. Uh, also, did you notice that when they actually had all these kids into the basement, they give the uh, headmaster some mouthwash just to take the yeah. edge off? <laughs> yes, I did. I did. And see that room from the Jennifer scene where they're uh cutting into the phone line for the sex call that's all foreshadowed that 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 room exists and right. so again that all experts, leads to here expert screen, yeah, screenwriting yeah. everything's yeah. functional yeah yeah one thing that's not functional is just we never actually made use of the fact that they're tapping into the wire they just casually tap into the wire and then just like make a phone call right. they could have made use of it yeah they could have used that as well and yeah. i i we didn't really get into this but i know that randy kind of mentioned earlier i didn't really love the way that it rolled out at the end with dean parker sort of jumping into the window and shooting callie like i i just wish that that had done been done a little bit differently like i i I like what you're saying Jakob, about the squib that was oh great incredible (laughs) the 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 great military guys coming in through Mm. the front and then Dean Parker jumping through the window. You got Lou, Lou Gossett Jr.'s got the gun. But yeah, there was something there. And I and I think Randy's touched on it a little bit about sort of maybe he would have been served better as the the communicator, as the sort of the guy on the guy in uh Sean Astin's ear the whole time mm-hmm. versus ha- having to come in at the end. Because part of me, and maybe this is something that I was kind of reaching back to and thinking about watching this, this as a kid, part of me was a little bit bummed that Sean Astin didn't get to take him out. That didn't Sean Astin didn't get to be the one to like take out Callie at the end. Uh, Yeah. But then it could kind of make sense because Lou Gossett Jr. said, like, I'm going to watch over you now. And right. he did. Yeah, no, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. So, so, it, so it makes sense. But yeah, it's not, it's not my bit. It's not the end of the world for the, the movie. I loved it. And the other mm-hmm. thing is the other thing that we didn't talk about is the bombs. Bombs don't go, go off, and one of the things I wish they would have done is I wish they would have had at least one major explosion in this movie, and that could have been another set piece. Is something, you know, maybe well, they the, have one explosion. 
the well the car they had the cop yeah. car right but also another moment when i when i re- realized why i know this movie by heart because i said fuego exactly when luis yes. Cali says fuego yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i think i think even if they would have had one of the buildings with one of the explosions or something maybe something that was less consequential than the dorms or the cafeteria or whatever just have a, a bomb go off so they're like whoa whoa so that's what we're dealing with and that might have been a, a nice payoff. Yeah. Uh, but again, what if that's now, a result of doing everything strictly on this this location? Could have been, yeah. I, yeah, I might <laughs> just be didn't tell the scope. So can we rent it for <laughs> yeah. th- for six weeks? And then it's just like small print. We're going to absolutely blow the shit out of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, can't do that because the campus is booked for major pain next summer. Yeah, exactly. After <laughs> that, sure, come back for reshoots because, yeah. you know. Uh, oh, man. I mean, but then again, I don't know because... Again, this is, I suppose this is, I suppose this is like 80s filmmaking. Bullet goes into Luis Cali's head, fade to black, we're in, in front of the school, everyone's reunited, roll credits, we're done here. Right. <laughs> it's That's just how it is. 60 seconds from, from, from the moment when Luis Cali get, gets the bullet, it's just, we're done here. We're, 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 I mean, well, in during the credits, it's kind of a very sort of ninety sort of TV credits because every yeah. main character gets a little bit of a freeze frame. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just yeah. feels like a MacGyver episode. <laughs> now, one of the things I noticed when I was looking back, I I felt like, oh man, the, so Robert Folks scored the film, and it had a very like militaristic style to it. You had these horns a lot, and the uh, this sort of like military drum drum mm-hmm. roll things going on in it. I said, this is, sounds like police like a academy cemented style. <laughs> and, and then I went back and looked at Robert folks, um, his, his, uh, uh discography or the police, scores Aca- he, police academy. Yeah. All of them. He's done every <laughs> single police academy score. Really? Yeah, yeah, he did. There you yeah, go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I said, yeah, oh, that this totally sounds like Police Academy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but it works. I mean, it's yeah. kind of like, I mean, then again, this is, again, like, this is like the diehard allure because the the music in here is sounds very sort of neoclassical. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then this kind of looks like, I mean, again, a cynical critic would be like, they're totally ripping off Michael Kamen. And, and and the way he would always incorporate in, in in every Die Hard film, I think in one and two, I think they will always kind of take a piece of classical music and then build a score around it. Like the whole score to Die Hard, the first Die Hard is basically built around Ode to Joy, right? Like this is whole, this of the ninth, Beethoven's ninth is basically just the basis for the whole score and kind of just creeps in and out of existence in there. So it kind of feels like this score is kind of like, you could imagine this, in a sort of like full harmonic almost, it would probably work in this context. Although it probably partially kind of feels like Forrest Forrest Gump, especially when the when the when the judge falls out of the helicopter and we dissolve, and then it's just yes, and it feels like all you need is the feather. Just yeah, <laughs> the judge dissolves into the feather. Yeah, and then the crane shot comes down on the campus. This oh, is such a clumsy dissolve. I mean, I love it because it's so self-aware almost. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean yeah. I'm pretty sure they were taking this this shit seriously. Just this is gonna be some 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 great stuff. Uh, I think we're done. I think we're we're done here. Like yeah. we've basically just like broken down the film scene it's- by scene and. Unless there's something you want to guys bring to the table, I think we, we, we can actually kind of just bring this to a close. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we, we covered it. Yeah. 
Awesome. So final take on this, like any uh, sudden change of hearts um, and if fi- any sort of like out of the blue five star ratings on this? Jackson, start start us off with this. Oh, I, you know, I, I I was already up there with my rating. I don't I mean, I, I've got I have a few little criticisms, but it's I mean, it's hard for me to say it's not a five star rating for me because I I loved revisiting this. I loved coming back to it. One of the things for me to be clear on is aesthetically what was really cool about this is it felt like a, a canon film in a way as an action mm, yeah. movie it felt like some of those like chuck norris or charles bronson the way it was filmed yeah. uh sort of that late 80s early 90s so that really stuck with me and I, I that's something that when i come back to this makes it stand apart from some of the other action movies i like from from that time that's the frankenheimer and, allure yeah that's it's not it it's not sleek <laughs> it's not sleek it's not super clean it's it, you know you can see the seams a little bit here and there but yeah. it just in my opinion the way that they've staged it the way that they use these aerial shots and the way that this set is feels so tangible it's yeah it works for me on on every level and you know there there are things that feel cheesy but i i feel like that's part of the charm for me when i look mm-hmm. back on it so yeah awesome randy yeah. are you now in love with this even though you have it wasn't a nostalgia item for you no, and I sort of regret that it wasn't because it, it came out when I was uh, just starting university. And this is something that I would totally You were too cool loved. for this. I, I No, no, I just missed it. I just I just missed it. Like I, I graduated high school in 91. So actually I would have been just finishing high school at the time. No, you were just like Billy Tepper. Like this would I have was, been for you. Like this was Taylor. Yeah, for, I know. I, I know. I regret that I missed this at the at the time. And, you know, I I, I blame the studio for, I, I believe they just dumped it. They said, this is an R film. And, you know, how can we market this? And they, they didn't have the balls to think it through. Because I think this could have been a hit. I think it's got all the elements. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's a really solid action film. I love how it is grounded in its own way in a very tangible, tactile way that is a bit of a, you know, shout to, you know, Friedkin or Michael Mann just with, with one foot in the news headlines. And uh, I, I love this villain. I think that, you know, he, he seems very real and we're, we don't get the, the Schwarzenegger one-liners. Like in a lot of ways, this feels, you know, very, you know, intimate. And when the terrorists take over the school, that scene where they, they walk in and take over the cafeteria, that is very intense and impactful. And it's just, it's just a great moment. So mm-hmm. I think critics and audiences who were aware of it, who did see it, were sleeping on it when they gave it bad reviews. Like there's some good stuff in here, but I would suggest that there are elements that do drift off into uh, what I'll call sort of the Hollywood cheese a little bit. Like I just, I, this works so much better when it's a little bit more grounded. And uh, sometimes it just takes a few steps uh, strays off the line a little bit and uh, we get a little bit of Hollywood action silliness, which has its place, but you know, mm-hmm. not here. Cause I think the film works a little bit better when it's a little bit more grounded, but uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a fan. I like this and I would have loved this back in the nineties and I, yeah. And mm-hmm. it would have been a nostalgia piece. I mean, you know, cause I'm the age of these guys. There you go. I mean, I would one thing I would have loved for this film to have is extra features on the Blu-ray. I'll just say this because yes. other than that, like I've been a fan for years of this movie, and I, I can watch it anytime, and I'll have grand old time. And after this conversation, now I'm actually seeing because it's not well, it's always been a nostalgia item for for me. So I, and I, I'm I have no defender of, of of it's just you know I can 
I can live with my nostalgia and I, I can just base in it continuously. I can I can rewatch like Congo and Waterworld and, and this and whatever and Schwarzenegger films until the end of my days, pun pun intended. And then and and then I'd be happy. I don't have to watch anything new. I can just watch like the eighties and nineties shit. I'll be I'll be like a pig and shit. So it's just it would just be great. So I don't I don't really need to find value in something that I already like on the basis of just me me just harking back to the days of, to my salad days, right? But again, after this conversation, like there is more I can fish out of this that actually just reverberates with me now when I'm an old fart, right? So makes sense to me. Uh, and then, yeah, the only thing I would wish for is just ex- extra features on the Blu-ray. And I'm super happy that this movie kind of looks like the way it looks because it's gritty and it's kind of look like, yeah. again, like mm-hmm. it's, it's such a good point to say. Like it's, it looks like a canon film because it feels like it's made by humans. Like it feels yeah. like it's not made by a com- committee. Like it's not polished off like a, like a Michael Bay film where everything has to be just overseen and over and, and, and over designed and over engineered. Uh, and it, everything's kind of real as well. Because we haven't really touched on this very much, but they have loads of helicopters and like these Humvees and everything, and everything's real. Nothing's green screen. There's squibs, there's guns, there's there's helicopters landing in the quad, and I'm just thinking to myself like this like this looks like nothing, but, probably, but there's probably a lot that went into actually just shooting this sort of these sort of yeah. scenes with helicopters in in close proximity to the actors. That's, that's probably two or, two or three of the ten million. Yeah, probably, and so. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me wonder if you show this to, you know, younger audiences today, are they just going to be numb to this? And I be think like, so, oh, yeah. yeah, like, we appreciate it because it is it is tangible. It's real. Everything is practical here. Yeah. My son liked it, for what that's worth. That's awesome. There you go, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, f- I feel like m- maybe this is us, because uh, like, we kind of just grew up at the sort of tail end of the practical special effects era, where you've, like, I feel immense nostalgia for practical effects even if they're crap right and then i i I kind of feel like the sort of the cgi is always kind of feels like well it's not real at least someone actually went out and rented a helicopter for this (laughs) i mean it's the reason why mad mad max fury road is probably one of my favorite films of the last decade Mm -hmm. is that yeah just that reliance on practical and and seeing all this stuff just blow up and be like real action yeah, it's just it feels like some, like a breath of fresh air, like 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 we've been uh, been covered with, you know, a pillow of, of CGI and someone just lifting it off your face and you're getting fresh air. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, yes. I mean, call me a basic yeah. bitch, but this is one of the reasons why I always kind of have fun watching Christopher Nolan films, because he insists on just shooting stuff in camera with mm-hmm. just like I grew up with. <laughs> So I kind of yeah. like, even though some of his films don't work for me, and this is again a bingo card item, like Christopher Nolan got name dropped in the in the episode. Like it's great, you know. And then you know, like I like when he just decides, well, I wanna I wanna build an actual model of of, of something revolving around a a, a, a a light source so it looks like a space station. Or I like I like the idea of like crashing a Boeing seven four seven into a hangar. I don't know. I, I like the sort of fact that someone actually went out and decided like we're gonna commit like sixty percent of our budget to this five minutes of film where we have to rent helicopters out and then and the other like i don't know 10 percent for squibs and fake blood because you know mm-hmm. why not so i absolutely love this film and now you know it's going down in history as again like five stars with a heart i don't care it i know it's flawed it's but it's it's one of those films that i can just i could die watching and i'll be fine speaking of great you know <laughs> 
I don't know. So how about we just go through our top threes? How about that? So Jackson, lead the way. If you have any honorable mentions, feel free. Like we're not limiting ourselves to three. Randy's known for just like he, he was going to have a list of seven. Like I oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Actually, I think it is seven. No, <laughs> five or six. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, so the top three. Well, I'll, you know, honorable, honorable mention for me. I love the, I love that first, you know, set of scenes in the first act when we had them going to the basement and us establishing that and the the mouthwash, all that whole scene. That was <laughs> yes, that was that was really good. That was really good in kind of setting up their characters. And we 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 went into that already, but I really liked that scene. So that was sort of an honorable mention for me. But I really my number three was when Callie lines up all the students and starts calling out their names off the files and we're learning about who the students are. And and so far, we've just thought that they were just a bunch of misfits mm-hmm. at this boarding school. And now they they pull back the layers and they're like, oh, no, these are the, the children of important people all over this this country or you know, they there. There's weight brought to it, and and there's mm-hmm. a, another another added dimension there. So I really like that. Um, my number two was that final big set piece with the sw- switching the chips mm-hmm. and sneaking into the headmaster's office with the the remote control and the bomb detonator while while Keith mm-hmm. Coogan's character has the asthma attack. I I just felt like that was it. Just never stops. It, mm-hmm. I just felt like everything's rolling rolling down the tracks like like you were saying Jakob and everything's kind of building towards this one uh, crescendo uh in the in the climax so that was another one and then I already kind of spoiled this earlier uh in our talk but my number one was Billy's escape mm-hmm. uh to you know to get the all the information over to the military and get back on campus uh within that that hour that that was that was something that even though it had been years since I had watched this um, that scene stuck out like there's a there's a, a, a shot where Sean Aston's running away from the, the campus building and he does sort of the slide around the corner of a parked car mm-hmm. to like hide before he actually makes his run across the field through the trees. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I remember it has just sort of lived rent free in my head since watching it on like the pay-per-view channel and and the trailers way back in 91. For so, me, the that, moment when he that lives rent free is when he actually runs towards the trees and you can see his in close up and he's actually like gunning it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so great. yeah, so that that whole sequence is just untouchable for me. So that's my number one. Fabulous. Although it's kind of a cheat when you think about it. it's like no, I like the whole sequence. It's like fifteen minutes of the film. Yeah, yeah I, just, I did pick like I picked like two scenes that are like fifteen minutes long. <laughs> it's just all total. Your top three is like a third, a third of, of the, the movie. Film. <laughs> <laughs> fabulous randy all right so an honorable mention just for sean Aston. and watching this i realized that that guy i feel makes everyone around him better he just connects he seems to connect well in scenes as an actor and he's just a very special guy that that's just my take in watching this and just thinking of other things that i've seen him in so sean Aston, just in general um we also mentioned another honorable mention just the the, the fade to campus life via a judge being shoved out of a helicopter. I, I, I couldn't just, decide whether I want to put it on top or yeah. bottom. <laughs> uh, just put it as an honorable for me. And uh, another honorable mention is the Jennifer scene, the, the where they tap just into leave it, the, leave it the on. sex line. Leave it on. Yeah. And, 
I had a roommate touch once. It, touch it, touch it. <laughs> this guy was such a piece of shit. He would, <laughs> he would dial these numbers, and we had a four hundred dollar phone bill that we were sharing. What and I was like, what is going on with this phone bill anyway? This is the glens people in the nineties had to go to to jerk off. Like you can't true. even see anything. It's this I, woman pr- sit. Like, could you imagine? Like he's, he's probably sitting down and down in an office, going like, "Oh yeah, I'm hot." Yeah, it was. Are you? Yeah, so like, what do you look like? And they, he, he gives oh. a com- composite sort of like he's like, "I'm black, <laughs> all, I'm, all blonde, five yeah. I'm black, and I'm blonde." And yeah, she, she says, "I love, I love long blonde I have an hair, earring. I'm a black man." Oh, black <laughs> I have an earring. And I was like, oh. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, uh, that just that brought back memories of this one four hundred oh, so and some dollar pink. bill that we got. Mm, it's so <laughs> no, the bill was it was the bill was really big. So <laughs> I'll pay my ten dollars worth on this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, my actuals. Would you like me number to three. <laughs> number three, the room rag. That's what we call them. The prank where they they take the furniture out of the headmaster's office and set mm-hmm. it up in the quad. We used to call them room rags and. We used to do these types of things. This is just genius. It, it brings back memories. I was asked to guard someone's, someone went to write a test, an exam, and these other guys broke into his room and took everything and set it out. And I was asked to help just sort of guard, make sure nothing was stolen and that the guy would see it. Randy anyway, the lookout fantastic. strikes again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. yeah. So that was great. Great moment. Uh, number two, um, yeah, so the Joey's when he's being released and he refuses to go without his friends, and then he ends up stealing the gun. Like I think this is—it's a great character moment. It 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 adds a little bit of uh, oomph and uh, depth to the film at a at, at a spot where it could use it because it is sort of teetering on the the fence between sort of the the realism and the the Hollywood sort of cliche stuff, and it, it's just a nice—it's just nice at that time at that moment in the film that you get this nice character moment. From Will Wheaton of all guys too, so that's great. And hey. number one, <laughs> number one, uh, He's you said it, Jackson. The uh, it's it's the part of the scene where not where Billy goes out, but rather when he sneaks back, just sort of when he's under the under the time crunch and he's got to get back for a roll call, and he falls into the water and he goes and strips down and pretends to have had a shower. That it's just great. So mm-hmm. that's my number one in the film. Awesome. Jakob. I got two member uh, honorable mentions so I might as well say special shout out to Sean Aston doing a pull up into a into an air duct. Yeah. Like you kinda have to. True. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so another sort of honorable mention I have is for the little bit of comedy that we didn't mention when um Dean uh the Dean kind of just finds them in the sort of the gen- after the Jennifer scene. Yeah. And um what it's just what well, he everyone gets excused and he goes like you stay and he's like what's this and it's like where did you pick it up oh radio shack or whatever right and it's just well i want you to break it right and he's just like step on it and he just steps on it just so ginger and he's like come on and i, I wrote it's like make believe it's my foot and he just goes to absolute <laughs> town on this so fun and just just goes bam, 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 and then it's just like hey fair enough and he just gives it another kick <laughs> it's just the best <laughs> uh so I'm um, actual threes. So number one, uh, in no particular order, they're all great. They're all great scenes. I have to say, the moment when Sean Astin sneaks back in—I mean, when he falls and he just wets himself in there—and he just figures out on the fly 
that he has to uh, go and strip down, pretend he had a shower. Although, like, he can go and say, like, cynical, like, Roger Ebert, who would be just like, oh, he's telling the truth. He's all wet. He stinks like shit as well. Like, what did you wash yourself with? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, unless the, so the drain water in there was soapy, it's, yeah. he's going to smell like a swamp. <laughs> so, so there's that. Uh, number two, Joey's death. Like, you kind of have to say, like, for me, this is the moment that, that, where the wish fulfillment fantasy ends. Like, this is where just, like, I, I guess like, this could have been me, right? Uh, so this is a powerful moment for me. Like, one of the few very powerful moments in here. But the uh, most powerful moment in the film is for me where Michael Champion walks into the cafeteria, pulls up his gun, and just scares everyone. Like, scares the living shit out of everyone. It's just, like, starting to shoot. Like, this is when, you know, like, stuff is real here. Yeah. Good it's thing. just I, it's an iconic moment for me like yeah. i know this word's overused but this is a poster moment like you you could imagine his silhouette just in there and then it's just this is this is it this this is what this like when i think of this movie i think of this scene like immediately apart from and then the rest of the imagery kind of just trickles in but this is the first thing that always kind of comes to my mind is michael champion shooting into the ceiling and then like i suppose in uh, zucker zucker abrahams there'll be a chandelier falling uh, <laughs> yeah, just, would have would have killed a couple of kids. Yeah. <laughs> just Michael Champion. Just, <laughs> just yeah. anyway. Bottoms. Do we have any bottom moments? This is going to be hard, is it? We do. <laughs> Go for it, okay. Jackson. Okay, so um, uh, I'm going to give an honorable mention to um, Will Wheaton's uh, earring. Like that. Oh, someone a, had to mention like it's a, such like a was disgusting a one, one of those that didn't age great but i was like okay you know what it was uh it was 1991 uh again I, it's gonna seem like i'm picking on will wheaton here but uh but i Stuff really on his wrist. I, I really like will wheaton um joey trotta's accent i felt it was completely unnecessary <laughs> he was from new jersey but he was it seemed like he was kind of trying to do a new york accent and I think he could have just gone more subtle. I didn't. I didn't think he had to have have these moments where it's like peeking in and out. And normally, I'm not. I'm someone who doesn't really care about accents. But if I'm gonna pull out something, it would it would be that. Um, and then the last one again. This was something I kind of brought up earlier. Just the the Dean Parker moment at the end when he jumps through the window. I I just I, I think I wish that would have been done a little differently. And so I included it here because I I wanted uh, Billy Tepper to get to get the last uh, shot at uh, Cali. Mm-hmm. Awesome, yeah, Randy. All right, um, yeah, I just I have four, and to me at the at the end when everyone runs into this uh, this basement, this sort of semi detached basement uh, where they're hiding. No one thinks to save the cooks. The cooks are never part of the count. There are two or three cooks in the kitchen. We see them two or three different times during the movie. <laughs> and no one thinks to save them. So I'll just, I'll mention that here. Uh, number three, the, ho- the whole Jerry Orbach, we talked about this and the, the mafia stuff. Like He has these lines, oh, my kid, he hates me. What can I do? I love him. There's, there's just something here that this this feels like attack on I, I I know this character he's in he's involved with setting a couple things in motion later I I, I get that but there, there's something here that he, he doesn't organically fit into mm-hmm. this for me um, this needs a concerned mom as well who really wants to help yeah mm-hmm. like he needs a Karen character <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> at, at least a, at least just another scene earlier in the film, I think would have done the Jerry Orbach character a little better. Something. Yeah. Like it, it, it needs sort of a close look on, on how it cannot feel like it's something sticking out. It's can, just making the film not quite as streamlined in a way. Can I interrupt you real quick, Randy? Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember the scene where the FBI and the Dean are talking to all the angry parents and sort of briefing them on the situation? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a shot where they show Jerry Orbach through all the people sitting in the very back. And I thought this was like going to be a moment like uh, in Jaws when Quint like puts his, <laughs> scrapes yeah. his, his fingernails down the yeah. chalkboard and he was going to have something to say it's to like, him. Well, but and, what is he going to say? Like, I have a solution, everyone. I can get this guy's dad killed. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know. It just—it was a funny shot that felt like they were alluding to something, and then it didn't happen. The whole but... damn thing. <laughs> the whole damn thing. <laughs> yeah, everything they everything they do with Orbach, it just it just doesn't really feel natural. So yeah, anyway, yeah. Maybe maybe that's the scene that we needed actually. Um. Yeah, okay, so when Aston he breaks <laughs> out and then he's breaking back in and he escapes, he steals like an army's Hummer and there's a little bit of a chase. I, I find that gets a little hokey to me. I could have done away with that. If he just ran off and made it made his way to the drain, I don't think we need the the little Hummer chase. That's a bit much for me. And number one is just the whole business with uh, Lou Gossett Jr. sneaking along with the military um, you know, sneaking along the side of the building. We, we don't need him as part of the operation at the end. Wow. Those are mine. I've got a bunch right. of things. <laughs> and, for but a five-star film. Well, for a five movie he loves. <laughs> for a movie I love. This is how much... Let's have it. But they're all kind of like... It's like almost like a top six of most ridiculous moments. One is like whenever... Uh, I failed to mention that... I mean, I might as well include on this stuff, like as a, one of the ridiculous moments. Um, when there are these two helicopters going from, like, the final assault happens, and there are these two people on the sort of on the two guys on the yes. clock tower, right? Uh, no, bell tower, sorry. <clears throat> because they're just like looking into distance. Oh, something's happening, and there's a helicopter right under their noses, just hiding right. beneath the tree line, right behind them. Just they just True. coming comes out, just ta da. We're here, and it's just shoot, and then again another sort of piece of comedy because the bell kind of keeps going. Like, nin, 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 nin. It's just yeah. the best. Um, another thing is that read. No, it's not really bothers me, but it's kind of ridiculous. Is the um, like these these two guys die, and then the one who releases the grenade and just wipes out the team of Navy <laughs> Seals. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just because. And then Luke Gossett Jr. goes like, "I suppose this is my job now." <laughs> um, so. Another one that really is a ridiculous moment. I mentioned this already. Is the like getting the only black kid in the school to kind of pretend, trying to pretend that the count pretend is right. <laughs> like Jesus, like who, I mean, <laughs> this this could have been Corey Feldman's role, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's just I'm just saying. Just keep keep the that'd keep the a, actor. It's just like give it to someone else. This this that'd one be job. a good moment for all kinds of cameos. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean. Co- yeah. Yeah, go for it. Um Oh no, I was gonna I was just gonna say, yeah, like that was one of those things that like Corey Feldman could I I could have seen him easily fit into uh mm-hmm. a few of the roles here, but yeah. Yeah. 
So it's like another thing that kind of really, bo- no, it's not that bothers me. It's another sort of ridiculous thing. It's just like how the headmaster is just explaining to a bunch of mesmerized kids what a book looks like. <laughs> <laughs> this will last forever. I'm like, Jesus, is he high? Has he had the mouthwash yet? Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah sometimes, sometimes in movies they'll have something like this with like a some sort of teaching happening or, uh, you know, there's this is something his old happening. captain, my captain moment. No, He's Robin well, no, Williams he again. <laughs> it could have been a moment. It could have been a moment where the the guys like like Billy and um, Joey and them are actually maybe in his class, mm-hmm. and he's he's giving them some sort of lesson. Maybe it's a literary lesson or something like that. I don't like hear that, any ripping. <laughs> where they could where they could actually take what he's teaching, and yeah. somehow find some sort of allegory or some sort of lesson that they're like. Oh, it's like that, like like so and so taught us, or something like I don't know. They could have they could have maybe done something that that brought it full circle a little bit more. But yeah, yeah. I, I think it's hilarious that he was just explaining a book. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, like I feel the, like the, the 20- gambler two plus two is five. Exactly. Yeah. Two plus two is five. No, in tw- a twenty twenty three remake of this film would have probably would probably involve something like a foreshadowing. So sort of, well, there's this sort of thing they learned in class, and they'll put it to good use. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. So another three I have. <laughs> so it's, we haven't mentioned this. We only have mentioned this in passing. I have Sean Astin's shirts and massive, ar- massive sort of armpit holes. His t-shirts, <laughs> like he has a like a hole right down to his belt. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? That was the style. That was yeah. the style, dude. These were like nineties tank tops, right? <laughs> Jesus. Like yeah. this he's taking it to an extreme, like even if, if hole in his jeans as well. Just like wow, you could, you know. And did you notice the prevalence of um the peace sign in a lot of places? So you know yeah, you have and, the peace sign hide now. <laughs> on yeah, on um on Joey's shirt when he's when he's shot on the steps, he's got a peace sign and it's just the bullet holes go right the squibs go right across the peace sign. And then on the, the airplane, the remote control airplane, big peace sign right on the top. Yeah. I was like, that was a, a big thing. Yeah, exactly. So you know, okay, another one. I don't know if you guys know mentioned this. I call it the hidden moment. Remember when Randy, you were just remember when you were talking about the hidden one of your bottom moments where was in the police station. They had this sort of like sections of murder, yes, shoplifting, (laughs) whatever. There's this scene where I think they're just, um, um, I think it's Carly's father goes like, "Can I have a have a pen?" and he just writes on this code, and then they goes like, "Cuarenta y uno." Diecisiete, whatever, and then and then there's this woman going like, "I'm hearing something," and she has, this, she's at a desk with this all equipment, and and right above it there's a piece of paper that says Intel. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so stupid. Oh gosh, that's that's great. And we didn't talk about the code. Again, Thank you yeah, for mentioning exactly. the code. What the hell was with the code? Yeah, like it, it just seems like. They went a little. They went a couple steps too deep here. They didn't yeah. really need I mean, to. But, send yeah, exactly. This but coded does, message. Does he that. know what time he has to tune into this survey to kind of catch the entire code? Because he clearly <laughs> just the because um, you know it, it's fun because I think he writes down um, one of them. I think either his father writes horizontally, but then he writes down vertically. So it's kind of like it's almost like encoded further. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and another one, and this is something that kind of bothers me, is how uh, the the villain's yelling is bothering me. 
Like when he goes like, every hour on the hour, there's gonna be a count. If you touch the wire, the bombs are gonna explode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or it's just like when it's like, it's 91. Well, I told you what would happen. Did you think I was kidding? It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> so <Yeah>. bad. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> and he has these, because he, he looks like he, um, he wears these sort of like, um, I suppose this is like his, He's the Latino drug cartel warlord because he has these sort of like I can't remember if they're like chinos because he uh, his his waist is like right up here, and he has, yeah. they're kind of baggy, so he kind of looks like <laughs> Steven Seagal a little and he, bit. And he's got the ponytail. He's got the hair pulled back, of course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It looks like like if Steven Seagal had auditioned to be Hans Gruber. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly yeah. but this sort of yelling was kind of just bothering me a little bit because it, <laughs> i honestly feel like he's scarier when he's quiet kind of like my old like one of my old bosses <laughs> yeah. and just got angry would just start yeah. whispering. <laughs> yeah yeah it's funny this didn't really <laughs> bother me but it was just something i found funny was when they're first communicating the demands of the terrorists to the FBI and the headmaster is on the phone. First of all, I, I wondered why why didn't Callie just talk to them himself? He has the headmaster, like I guess maybe to prove that the headmaster he is has there. A, some kind yeah. of a remote and goes like, and, mm. and then and, and and the headmaster is just communicating this all very like sarcastically, like and he says like apparently he's got explosives all around the school, whatever that means. Like he's like, the Karen character, like he's just like ah. Oh. <laughs> you just like you can hear his eyes rolling while while Denholm Elliot is like delivering this <laughs> this whole thing. So yeah, I thought that was funny. Yeah, it's so good. Anyway, I think we've done it. <laughs> so yeah. Toy Soldiers. I'm not sure where you can actually stream it. I haven't checked because I, okay. I as I said, I'll tell I you. I'll tell you that I looked for it streaming, <laughs> and the only place that I was able to find it streaming this week because I own the Blu-ray, but I would like find spare moments in my days to like revisit scenes and yeah. it's available on crackle oh right which, okay. you know okay. with yeah it's got ads but it's like you know it's a but it's, it's a decent uh a decent version of it it's something so other than that i think you'd have to just go and dish out the money i think i mean in in the uk you can rent or buy it on apple tv and that's the only sort of source but i think also in america i think it's available pretty much everywhere uh, but it's it's not an expensive yeah. blu-ray i i definitely recommend it no, but i do wish yeah. I do wish they would do the commentaries. I wish we could get like a Kep with Petri or something commentary or, you know, at this point, I don't know if we'll yeah. ever get these kinds of things from a movie like Toy Soldiers, but I love it. So, I mean, in all fairness, I think this is just a good sort of conscience on behalf of whoever put the Blu-ray together because they charged me five pounds for the Blu-ray. I mean, and I bought it like a year ago. And then if I had paid like a fit because it's like you know it's one of those like cult sort of 90s films from like restorations or whatever so sometimes they will go for pretty penny right if i had to pay like 15 bucks for it and then i put it in and there's just play movie and chapters i've been pissed <laughs> so yeah. at least it's you know good value for money it's just it's a cheap blurry because all you get is the film <laughs> that's yeah. it mm-hmm. you, you don't even get subtitles on this on, on my blurry there's just it's just the original version that that's it like you don't even get like if 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 you want if you speak german and you want german subtitles 
tough shit, hombre. Learn English. <laughs> it's, just, it's ain't happening. <laughs> it's just what it is. Yeah, so I suppose, you know, get get a Blu-ray and learn English. <laughs> there's a handful of interviews you can find on YouTube that are, yeah. that are fun with like Keith yeah. Coogan or Will Wheaton. But yeah, it would be it'd be great to, to get some more of that because this is actually surprisingly not a movie where there's a ton of stuff out there about it. Yeah. This is a film that was truly dumped by TriStar and as if they never wanted to see it again. And I think it could have been a hit if it had been marketed, you know, differently and somewhat aggressively, uh, you know, I think yeah. it's quality. Yeah. And, yeah. and we, we, you know, we kind of, I don't want to retread too much of anything, but, you know, we mentioned earlier that it's a rated R film, but it's filled with these, these actors who at the time, Will Wheaton and, and Sean Astin and all these guys, these guys were, like tiger beat level popular that this was Mm -hmm. they this was their demographic was like teenage girls and so to have them here in a rated r film it it almost feels like they were shooting themselves in the foot but when i watch it now i'm like i don't i wouldn't want to see the sanitized version of this movie like this is yeah this is done well so Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah so yeah it's fantastic and then I'm just looking at the blur cover. I never paid attention to it. Like in, in, in lieu of a blurb, you see this? It has a whole paragraph. Yeah. <laughs> Misfits, underachievers, rebels. The boys of the Regis school have been kicked out of the best prep schools in America. Terrorists just took over their campus. Now years of bad behavior are about to pay off. That's a whole paragraph. <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> yeah, that sells me. You know, I don't know. Like, I mean, like I don't know. It's... It's on the opposite sort of end of the spectrum of, uh, let's just say, <clears throat> brevity of like some like Fight Club as just like anarchy, mischief, soap, or <laughs> something. It's just, <laughs> yeah. Or I'll, or I'll, I'll bring up you know one of my personal favorite speed, which is just get ready for rush hour. There you, you know? go. Yeah. Which also could have been the blurb for rush hour. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, awesome. Uh, so, but yeah, again, it was such a pleasure to have you over, Jackson, because I always love when you come on because you come with receipts. Like this is, like this is not just like oh, I'm just I'm here to just talk talk nonsense. Like no, like, this is a guy who comes in with knowledge, trivia, and notes. Like boys and girls, like yeah, you kind of have to acknowledge this. Like no, our boy Jackson, he he's he's the real deal. Like he knows his stuff. So and then always a pleasure to have you over. So anytime you want to be on, your our doors are always open. So you know, we're just hoping you had a as good a time as we had. I love yeah. I I always love talking movies with you guys, and this is you know yeah. I I feel like I when I when I'm when I'm talking to you guys about a movie, I wanna I wanna come with the uh, the knowledge and the the trivia and the stuff that I like to hear about. So that's this is just me sort of you know bringing it back as a as a fan of your show and a you know fan of uh, movie podcasts. And so oh, yeah, thanks. So man. thank you for for having me on. And yeah, as always, it's a blast. Fabulous, fabulous. And while we're at it, might as well just tell us all where you can fo- where everyone can find you and your stuff, so we can you know follow you wherever you need to be followed. You know, well, for as long as it exists, you can find me on Twitter. Um, at at Jackson Boren, <laughs> I'm you know, you verified. I'm, Twitter yeah, blue. I, I'm not verified. I don't. I, I in fact, I would say you know, in, instead of spending eight dollars to get yourself verified 
just spend that and buy the movie because this yeah. movie is is worth it. it's worth the eight dollars. So and just next buy month, Toy buy Soldier. another movie. <laughs> yeah, and then next month you can buy another movie. So yeah, yeah, that's that's what I'll say. So at Jackson Bourne, I love talking movies with you guys and with other people who are like minded on on Twitter. Yeah, awesome, awesome, awesome. Randy, your turn. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Randy Burrows. You can find me on Letterboxd at Bratch7. And you can find me on clapperltd.co.uk. Awesome. You can find me on Truth Social and Mastodon. No. Because <laughs> 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 Twitter is going to be a dumpster fire soon enough. But hey, <laughs> we. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm not getting for the myself time being. verified for this, but you know. I'm staying there until the wheels fall off exactly you know yeah. yeah but anyway so in the meantime and, and you know you can find me in this dumpster fire of a social medium at, at talk about film and you can find me on the better social medium if i actually bother to actually just go and put my reviews in and log everything i have to like i have 100 films to log on my letterbox i can't i'm not even kidding uh like i say and- that you're leaving that to your daughter and your will yeah <laughs> yeah you gotta do this like get my effort. when people say well i so you get your affairs in order so like you have like two weeks to live like this is what i'll i'll have to do <laughs> I gotta Just get my letterbox so, up to date sort out my letterbox <laughs> which is yeah. Let, <laughs> jacob flash on letterbox and flash on film.com and that clapper and um and, and that's about it now hold on follow the show at uncut gems pod everywhere uh so twitter instagram uh facebook and tiktok i'm canceling tiktok am i because it, it's chinese spies everywhere i don't know i don't know anyway so follow us there uncutjumpspodcast.com is our hq where you can go and browse our shit and also patreon.com slash uncutjumpspod is where you can find our bonus material uh which this month again dead poet society enter the dragon and later on this month in london pyre as the uh the penultimate installment of our david lynch marathon so stay tuned for that and then if you want to uh, support us in a different way, you can also buy us a coffee at coffee.com slash uncutjamespod. And then also get in touch. Uncutjamespod at gmail.com is where you can send us your hate mail um, or love letters. I don't know. Uh, one of these will not get be written, uh, be read anyway. Um, so that's about it. For a second. No, also leave us a review and a star rating wherever you listen to your podcast because that helps. And then that's it. So stay tuned for next week because next week we what are we going to do next week? I know I think we're doing a little bit Deep of a Star ho- Yes Six Deep Star Six is what we're doing because yeah. we're gonna be doing a few episodes about uh thrillers in the in in the ocean oceanic depths I suppose and we'll see Lou Gossett Jr. again <laughs> we'll see Lou Gossett Jr. again so there's gonna be a few episodes about this and there's gonna be a tie-in episode coming in I think at some point. Uh, no, it's in in December. There's there's a few other things uh, happening, but more on that later. Meanwhile, stay tuned until next week because Deep Star Six is coming, uh, and then you know have a fabulous day. Take care. <laughs>